Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Make believe is not pretend. We might be but we're on the mend. It never starts, it never ends. Welcome to Craig and Friends. Welcome to Craig and Friends. Welcome to... I wasn't recording. I hit stop. I hit stop to fix it. So this is the kind of day that Olivia and I have been having. And of course, I'm speaking, of course, of Olivia Flood Wiley. And we were just talking about technical problems, all smooth and Kay, like, oh, you remember that day? Yeah, I had, let me tell you a fond remembrance before I knew what I was doing. It seems that the longer I do this, the more- The more problems you have. Yeah, yeah. And I just was like, let's check your camera, buddy. And- uh, (laughs) Like, look for the big red dot and see if that's going to happen. Uh, and Olivia, as I'm sure many of you know, especially in the UK and Ireland. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yeah. But you toured with Dirtado um, Flimberberg. I, I opened for Dara da- O'Brien in... Um, I always- knew exactly who you were talking about. I opened for... <laughs> Dara O'Brien in London. Right, so Georgia so, Flind- yeah, so is Dirt big. I opened in London, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I I have actually I have yet to perform in Ireland, which I would like to do because I have a lot of family there. Um, oh, okay, yeah, but um, really the red hair and the Irish appearance. I would never have guessed. Um, you wouldn't uh, half- have. Well, to be fair, the red hair I've thieved from Sally Beauty. Um, oh, it it's looks not natural. It looks incredibly natural. Thank and I, you. I'm an aficionado of dyed hair. <laughs> Had my hair every color except green because look at my complexion. Mm-hmm. Not advisable. I've also been every color except green. That was green was the one that I was always like. I just I don't see it. It's a step happening. too far, a bridge too far. It's yeah, everything too far. It's how can you do it? <laughs> you, I don't understand. I don't. I really don't. And I, I don't know what. So let's figure out what complexion would work because you're uh, a little a darker complexion. I don't know if olive is the right term, but I am pale. Mm-hmm. Unless I get a tan, which I can do bizarrely, like in two days. I don't. Mm-hmm. Even, I might burn a little, but then I'm like, oh, I'm tan, and then I don't go out. <laughs> Anyway, so what point is it? But what what do you think? Like, yeah, what? well, it's hard because so I have so my my mother's side is like deep Irish, like she's first generation American. Like both my grandparents okay. on that side emigrated from Ireland. Yeah, uh, my dad's side is like a vague mix of immigrants, like white immigrants. Yeah, uh, and so Th- those I, those people, I, it's those fun to people, say, yes. yeah, that for white people. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Italians. The oh, those people. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, oh, you mean um, the people who used to treat like they treat uh, Mexicans now? Yes, exactly. Just like the Irish and my uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I can tan. Um, but when I lived in the Netherlands, it like I really tapped into my Irish roots. It was like, let's see what you look like when you're the color of paper. Let's just bleach <laughs> <laughs> anything from your skin now. Um, but so I um, I have run the wide gamut okay. of very white to sort of white. Oh, to sort of skin. white. Yes, not yeah. not racially. I'm not saying that no, I've no, changed. no, no. It's just like pale, <laughs> and then maybe um, maybe lowercase p pale. Exactly. That's what That's, it is. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I have done that. I mean, I could actually get a George Hamilton tan if I would just walk <laughs> like an hour a day, which is seemingly like impossible. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. Yeah. It really is. It sounds like we're whining, but it is Los Angeles. And while 
if you walk around, not Wiley, but while, and I did introduce you properly. I <laughs> you think. did, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, you said my name perfectly. You crushed it. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> and again, as I said before the recorder was on, the next time we talk, I'll have a proper um, over-the-top game show style intro for well, you. you did say the one, the only, and I am the only Olivia Flood Wiley. That, I, that's which a beautiful I'm happy thing. About. Yes. I think, well, no, I, I know I'm not because I have a Google alert set up for myself. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll get. I'm like, oh boy, and then it'll be. This is. There's actually a filmmaker from my hometown, and I do video editing. I do various uh, film things, so it's very confusing. Um, I don't know if it's confusing to anyone else. I, I'm certainly not confused by it. But you were the the one, the only. So that was good. So that was appropriate. Uh, and I was saying something about pre-taping, but let's get back to ethnicity or something else. Oh no, I know <laughs> what it is. Why green hair doesn't doesn't work? I don't know what can, I think you have to be a punk rocker or serious goth. And there's something about you that works with the pale. Thank you. I, I had a former boss actually recognize me one time when I was swimming in Amsterdam off like a bunch of piers. And she was like, I thought I saw a vampire across the docks. And then I realized it was you. So that's how I choose to be recognized. From yeah, now. I like when people yeah. uh, have no compunction about feeling you're really pale. They're s- you're so pale. They're so aggressive about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, thank you. I, yeah. I know I look like a ghost, uh, <laughs> so that's okay. I'm like, I just like to say I'm an indoor cat. Exactly. Yeah, like that. Oops. Yeah. Like I went to Iceland to visit my friend John. He's a sim- similarly minded, uh, and they're like, oh, did you, either did you go or are you going to go to the hot springs? People have this huge list of stuff, things that they've never done as mm-hmm. well. And I just said, um, no, no, we're, we're going to go eat food, <laughs> then go back, have coffee and watch all the movies we can possibly stuff into that time. So you can put us anywhere. You can put us in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You can put us in um, Lansing, Michigan. So mm-hmm. any place in Michigan. <laughs> and Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah. 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 It, Flint mm-hmm. even. Oh, wow. Even with the troubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. I refer <laughs> to troubles? it like it was the, like like the, the Irish. The Catholics yeah. <laughs> <of> fighting. <laughs> That's one of those things. Uh, because I've been negligent about the news because it's, it's a hellscape. Oh, yeah. Uh, then I'll see something. I'm like, oh, that's still going on. Wow. Um, but then uh, the, on to uh, heavier subjects. You um, spend a lot of time in Amsterdam mm-hmm. because your partner's in Amsterdam. Is that correct? Well, I I spent a lot of time in Amsterdam and my partner's in Amsterdam. I would uh-huh. say it was. Yeah. So we met there after we both already lived there. Um and what's what spar uh spur spa uh why do you and your partner spar now? What spurned uh <laughs> spurned, is that right? What inspired your decision to go to Amsterdam? So I um uh I dropped out of college partway through. Mm-hmm. I took a year and a half off because I was wildly depressed. And then <laughs> when I came back, my timeline was sort of messed up. So a lot of my oh. friends had already left school and um I was like, if I spent another year here. I'm going to lose my mind. So yeah. I studied abroad in the Netherlands for my last semester of college. Oh, okay. Um, I was in Maastricht, which I'm not pronouncing right, and is in the, it's on the very border with Belgium. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I graduated from college there. And then my sister was like, oh, I heard about this theater in Amsterdam. What if you just took an improv class there? Oh, wow. Um, and so my original plan was just to take one eight-week course yeah. in Amsterdam. And then I ended up falling in love with the city. I signed a year lease. Um, I met my boyfriend at a board game night like a month in. Wow. What board game were you playing at the time? Or did you play it together? So we played, there were a few different, we played um, 
it was some sort of role playing game that I cannot remember the name of with like sheriffs. Oh, it was wow. like in the south, and you had to like identify the criminal, and I was the. That criminal. sounds very very scary. I remember I, or that. like it could potentially risky, risky yeah. business. <laughs> Is that the name of the game? Risky business. It was risky business. Risky yes. business. I don't know what Amsterdamese um, uh, Dutch, right? <laughs> they speak Dutch there. <laughs> they do speak Dutch. Yes, but slang. Could I call slang Amsterdamese? Amsterdamese. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, and um. Then I also remember we played a game called Set, which is where you're trying to match three of a kind across like patterns and numbers and things like that. And I crushed at Set. And I remember I made like whatever the hardest set was. And my boyfriend was like, that was the moment I knew that you were the one (laughs) is when you just decimate. Because I was the only girl in our whole group as well. And he was like, when you crush the egos of 15 men (laughs) by getting (laughs) the hardest set, that's when I knew you were the one for me. That's beautiful. Um, Yeah. And we were talking about guys in comedy Mm -hmm. and the largesse that they're both given and somehow feel... Uh, entitled, entitled to, to yeah. surprised that we use men and entitled in the same sentence. <laughs> it's shocking, but we're here to have unique opinions. I think that's. Uh, I think that's, that's what, what we're trying to do. I think yeah. so. Groundbreaking, <laughs> possibly controversial <laughs> opinions about men in comedy. Who uh, I was thinking about this the other day when I watched. I li- well, I like to watch movies with SNL cast members. Mm-hmm. Of all eras, because there's a lot of bad ones. So I, many bad ones. I don't even mean like it's Pat, which is both problematic yeah. not good but and like 79 minutes which is the sign that they were like fuck this yeah. is terrible like, you can't even make it to 90 that's not great yeah. it's not and i think that there's a legal limit to, mm-hmm. so you can call something a feature film and that's why you get those 88 minutes is like that's the classic if yeah. you turn the no not turn the video box because i'm 47 um if you look at the length on amazon or any other streaming service um and you have that reminds you, you have a special on a streaming service that people might be familiar with, YouTube. <laughs> I can, okay, anytime anyone announces me and they're like, she has two hour long specials and like the excitement grows yeah. and then people are like, and then they're like on YouTube and everyone's like, ugh, okay, Listen, whatever. <laughs> YouTube is is the, the medium of the future. Andy Warhol got it more right than we realized. The only thing he had wrong was the amount of time. When he said everyone in the future, everyone will be famous for, was it five minutes? 15 minutes. 15 minutes, Which yeah. seemed generous at the time is so incorrect now because there's once people don't realize, or some people don't realize, I think network people don't want to realize, much like the car manufacturers like Ford did not want to recognize Tesla, which is now the number one yeah. car, and they don't advertise. So there's that. YouTube in five years, the dominant medium, because everything is already there. It's streaming. People are already used to free until, unless you want to pay, instead of Netflix being like, oh, this is the thing. Here's the charge. Anyway, that's why, that's in service of saying like, that's that's the way to go. And they won't be sniffing at it in a couple of years. I will say it was very weird, my last experience with YouTube, because, um, so I... I taped my first hour in the summer of 2021. Yeah. And I put that on YouTube mostly so that my grandma could watch it. Isn't that why we do most things? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I also spent like 30 hours captioning it so that oh, my, really? my friend's grandma could read it accurately because she couldn't um, hear the audio well. Lazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, also the YouTube captioning is a whole nightmare and I had to restart like three times, which is a different issue. But- I posted it. It had like 
700 views over the course of like two years which yeah. is pretty standard that's what i expected that's like people that i knew who couldn't watch it because it was in amsterdam and then oh, wait, I, is, is there region lock on on that sort of thing or uh, am i misunderstanding what no, you're saying no i think just i um it was just like people from home watched it oh gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah which yeah, is yeah. what i assumed sure. all language of that barrier because the uh amsterdamese Yes, it's very yeah. difficult. The whole special's in Amsterdamese, yeah, which is just English, by but the, the way. the fact that you, yeah. oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so then I put up my second special, Half and Half, which I like produced myself in LA, and that got like 17,000 views, and I don't know why. I still to this day could not tell you who the people are who are watching it without knowing who I am. People with taste um, and sophistication, <laughs> I'd like to think so, but I don't know. And... I suddenly got all these comments from strangers and it was like my actual first time dealing with negative like oh dear online commentary and I I've always talked about like in my in my comedy I talk about like my mental illness and like family relationships and like my flaws very personally sure and I was always perfectly fine with that being to like a real audience who could see me like that was okay yeah and then people started commenting online and I was like oh my god yeah do Dishes. I need to reconsider everything about my approach that's the problem when it's easy to tell other people just like you know hey don't be so hard on yourself yeah. don't but then for ourselves self-compassion or the refusal to let those kind of nonsense things in yeah is very difficult uh, until you can manage to realize that it's someone who's never done anything yeah <laughs> anything at all because if anyone anyone has done stand up or a podcast or played in a band whatever it is actually some I forget that some of them are still those are the assholes but even if they don't end up doing it full time or uh, continue to, you kind of understand that it's like, it's difficult. It's not exactly the, especially yeah. stand up. Like I know I'm funny. I, I don't know what I do with stand up. I think I might get panicked and then frenetic <laughs> or just like go on a thread and no breaths, and no stammering, but they'd be like, what? wow, this guy's all over the shop. So I think we probably, you would be better than, 90% of the people who are, of the men who are doing open mics in Los I, Angeles. I appreciate that very I much. <laughs> I should try that sometime. I, I should think try you it. should, yeah. Be because fun. like, I would say a bare level of uh, self-awareness and thoughtfulness <laughs> would put you at a huge advantage. Just like a sous-son of it. Like exactly, just a, just a yeah. Sprinkle. Just a smidge. <laughs> just a skosh. Just a skosh of self-awareness <laughs> would really yeah. help. What, what's the... What's the name of the worst person? No. What's what's the general what's what's the, the like the most common presenting characteristic of basically a douchebag guy who's because mm -hmm. I oh what I was gonna say I'm gonna ask you a question and completely talk my own thing. Um, it's my style. I, the uh, Sam Kinison had his own style, which leads me to back to the SNL, uh, the piggery, and also the the thing of like. Bill Murray, yes, he's a great actor. I know we've read some things recently that might make us go, uh-oh. Mm -hmm. He was in a terrible Hunter S. Thompson-based movie where the Buffalo Room, John Belushi, didn't make all classics. There is this thing about guy comedians being boorish that somehow that equates funny. Does that still happen? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I say that like I've never, I'm have i locked in, I'm the boy in the plastic bubble, but 
on the on the ground level in the streets yeah out here we were fighting day to day um (laughs) it's like streets of fire but with comedians and not the band yeah my life is very hard it's really (laughs) hard to listen to people um yeah i would say there's there's definitely an aspect of um uh, just talking about your penis, just like a base level, like talking about your penis is just like constant. Yeah. Um, like just as an example, I'll say, so when I first moved back to LA last year, I was really, I was still not comfortable driving because I had been, I hadn't driven in like four years. Right. And so my sweet, sweet father was like my chauffeur for a comedy evening. So we went to the um, lottery open mic at the improv. Yeah. And I didn't get pulled. So my dad just had to watch a bunch of other people. Like, he didn't even get to see me do three minutes. Oh, when you said just- pull- Wow. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, that'll happen. Um, <laughs> you've heard my show. You, you yes. Know yeah, yeah. Um, but it's always pointed and for a good reason. I didn't know that pulled meant that because there's also this, like, uh, term of art or terms of art with the uh, comedy industry that because, mm-hmm. uh, like, stuff I've heard of Marin. I thought pulled meant you didn't get selected to do go like the next level. Oh, yeah. So I, oh man, English is such a complicated language. Isn't it though? Yes, pulled could also mean I didn't get picked. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it means both. Oh, um, okay, but good. In this case, in terms of a lottery mic, so the improv lottery mic is you line up at like 5 p.m. Everybody gets a ticket, like an elementary school lottery <laughs> ticket, like the little like red paper ones. Yeah. And you write your name on it. That name goes in a bucket. And then they pull names, literally, like physically pull names from the bucket. Wow. Um, And you only get three minutes on stage. And they pull the next person up, so like uh, on deck, and the person who's going next. So max, you only get a three-minute heads up before you're on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And um, the reason people do it is because one of the bookers for the improv watches it. And so if you do well, you can get picked to do another show. Sure. Um, But so I went and I didn't get picked out of the bucket. And, um, uh, sorry, I was just checking and make sure the camera. No, it's okay. On. I thought it looked like someone walked in behind me. And I, got I always, I always feel that when I'm checking my angle, which I <laughs> promise I fixed it and I'm good. I'm like, oh, I don't like breaking eye contact. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, oh, they, you know, yeah, yeah. More neuroses. We'll get into that. There's later. no one walking in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I didn't get picked for the lottery mic. So, and it was like 95 percent men that night. And shocking. It wow, was yeah. <laughs> A lot of jokes about penises and like girlfriends, girlfriends who suck <laughs> and, you know, the old ball and chain. And then my dad drove me to an open mic in Burbank called Witty Titties, which is an all ladies and non-binary mic. Oh, wow. And um, and it was so much better. And literally like, ugh, boy, I may be burning bridges here, but the improv mic is like a packed room. <laughs> Witty Titties is like eight people in a basement in Burbank. And it is such a fantastic show it mm. is so fun and uh genesis the woman who runs it is amazing and like laughs super loud at everything and i did that mic and then we walked outside and my dad was just like men shouldn't be allowed to do comedy <laughs> <laughs> that was that's amazing that's that fantastic takeaway. Yeah. yeah so it's def- yeah a lot of boorishness a lot of overconfidence and their ability to make people laugh I'd say under preparation, like you get the sense oh, that they've yeah. just always been the funniest person in their friend group and they think they can just carry that over onto the stage. Whereas most women that I know who start doing comedy, like put it off for like 10 years because they don't want to get bullied or laughed at. 
in a bad way. Yeah. And then yeah. when they actually get on stage, they're super prepared and they're ready. Obviously, like neither of these things are true across all friends, but um, that has in general been my experience with it. You know, I think it's in line with uh, queer experience because there, oh, there's a trait there if you'd like to use it for uh, ease of uh, access. I'm referring to her beverage, not for her like lay down. My iced coffee. Like yes. Oh, an iced coffee. Very, very nice. I'm having iced tea. So complimentary Excellent. beverage is very nice. <laughs> and we're covering the spectrum of possibilities, I yeah. think. And that is one of the things that um, goes along with the, the queer and female experience. Uh, often those things are concurrent in the same person. But sadly, women have an outside perspective or non sorry women tra uh, trans non-binary everyone who's not a straight white male mm -hmm. because black men have also an experience where it's you see the preponderance of comedians in the clubs uh, even when i just look at listings straight white men uh, most of the time even gay uh, white men mm -hmm. who are also horrifically toxic a lot of the time don't have that but at least they have that outside perspective which is crippling sometimes mm-hmm I imagine. Yeah, and it's it, it's funny because like I remember like in Amsterdam in particular, I sort of like became known as someone like a comedian that women really liked, and it I was cast as like a niche comedian, and I was like, actually, that makes me a majority comedian if women like me. Because That's right. <laughs> yes, there are more women, so yes, I'm, there are. Yeah, I'm appealing to more of them. Um, if I'm appealing to women. So I don't know why, like the fact that I don't cater to a straight white male audience does not mean that I'm not a mainstream comedian. Right. Um, which was very frustrating. Um, and strange too, because it's like when Thelma and Louise was a big deal, there was a lot of noise. This marks a change in the industry. There's going to be a lot more female focused films. Did not happen. Did not happen still happens a lot it's those big announcements there's a big uh the thing i was listening to when you came in uh, you must remember this talks about all the erotic uh, films of the 80s and 90s which they don't really have much of anymore but mm -hmm. they she really breaks down she being karina longworth the women's roles in it in a very nuanced way that isn't that hard and fast rule like the be the bechamel test i like to call it <laughs> <laughs> like a like a cream based sauce. Yes, if, yes, exactly. If two creams talk to each other without talking about a man, then they pass the bechamel test. That's it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so and, and so uh, to what you were saying about women being a desired audience, it's always in every industry a desired audience. Yet the idea that you would appeal before a certain economic breakthrough. Mm -hmm. no good yeah and also like i feel like there's this expectation of like well if women like you you also have to make men like you you know like you need to peel across it but i have felt no pressure on male comedians parts to make women like them oh my god yeah uh, no i none yeah because they they talk boorishly about their girlfriends being shitty exactly and, and implicit in that is like oh i'm just a lazy douchebag who won't do anything about it that's what I always think when people bitch and mo uh, moan about uh, their girlfriend or ball and chain or whatever. Yes, and I hate it. And it's like I, I run anything that I say about my boyfriend on stage by him before I do it. But I also only say nice things about him on stage. Like I have yeah. no interest in- Bowing to the patriarchy. In... <laughs> really great. We exposed you. 
<laughs> it is my commitment to the patriarchy that makes me be nice to my boyfriend. Yeah. Um, it's ingrained though, so you it's get not my fault. No, it's, it's not my fault. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be really mean to him, which I sh- <laughs> I'm working towards every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like, I just don't understand the idea of. I mean, at, at a base level of ragging on the people you love on stage, I just don't like it. Like, no, I even don't. my parents, my sibling, like I'm nice to the, the butt of the joke is always me. Right. And, and I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and you can get away with somewhat pointed comments about something funny or crazy mom or dad did at like Thanksgiving or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you do it, handle it in the right way. Yeah, just like Don Rickles. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I, I, I wore I wore this shirt in honor of uh, the support that Jerry Lewis has always given women comedians. So this is you can't see it on camera because I I changed the angle. But I, I'll, Mel, you saw it before. What it says is uh, it's it's well it's, extra special person. Thank you very much. I appreciate the assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for the Jerry Lewis MDA telethon. So it's like for a good thing, and then also it's tainted. Mm-hmm. Like that's how i like everything exactly yeah. same here yeah S- slightly problematic <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and my goal at all times is to be the don rickles of lady comedy that's what yeah. i noticed when i saw you at popular mm-hmm. kids club i yeah, was like that was Whoa. your thought you were like god she's really going in on oh, my vicious vicious <laughs> yeah i'm glad i wasn't in the front row i mean i would yeah. have been just you would have been dead dead yeah yeah i'd still be recovering from yeah, that exactly <laughs> so we're all lucky today that it didn't happen. but you yeah. also don't do that thing uh where you're brutally self-deprecating right which i appreciate particularly from non-straight white male performers who could use a bit of that <laughs> <laughs> they certainly could i i definitely found like i think I also don't, I don't know what it, if it's that like the audience I hit is more empathetic, but I certainly had to figure out over time that they really don't like it when I'm too self-deprecating. Like I've done many a set where I got an audience going like, oh, instead of laughing (laughs) and I'd have to be like, that was not the reaction I wanted. I'm like, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm not at group therapy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I try to like. It's been interesting trying to figure out ways that because like self-deprecating humor is very much a thing of it. Um, it's very much a part of my comedy, but yeah, I'm not interested in taking down myself for like being mentally ill or being ugly or being anything like that. Like, well, because you're not ugly, you are clearly. I mentally am mentally Ill. Ill. Yes, um, <laughs> but things like I find it like a fun creative challenge. Like I have a joke about. I think it works less well when my hair is straightened like it is today, but like. I have a joke about how like men in LA weren't interested in women who look like if a haunted Renaissance painting of a witch came to life. <laughs> and to me, that's like, that doesn't say anything about my attractiveness or not. It's just a very specific thing about what my aesthetic is. Yes. And that is what I'm interested in making fun of is a choice I've made rather than something I have no control over. Right. No, exactly. And that's uh, that's key to the whole thing, right? Like yeah. something you have no control over, that's not necessarily funny i mean there's comedians i can't remember their names which is really helpful and really shows respect (laughs) to their craft but in particular in the early 80s there there was this thing of making the thing um i think there was a a deaf comedian and i think there was someone who had i can't remember what condition but they they had um uh, some kind of speech impediment which they do address i guess it's maybe 
get it out of the way so no one's like worried mm-hmm. about can i laugh at them which is a strange thing but audiences are strange too yeah they're really weird what, what describe uh audiences in general no but uh, <laughs> uh people yeah people people yeah. in general uh yeah. audiences as a whole because you can really any group you can just generalize mm-hmm. but uh, what do you think is the greatest uh, sort of spectrum uh, differences of generally the type of audiences like is because they are they do end up acting like each other i feel like yes which is it is such an interesting thing to me like as a psychological experiment that like people will get off stage and be like tough crowd tonight and like audiences really do band together and they feed off of the energy of the people around them yeah um i will say in general like performing for like queer communities performing for women like that is my jam that is where like i know i'm gonna do well um my favorite show in amsterdam was called the cunnilingus comedy show (laughs) and it was um all ladies and then there was always a drag queen who performed at the break and then they saved one spot for um, a member of the lgbtq community doing stand-up for the first time oh that's great and it was run by my friend mickey and they were like such an awesome cheerleader and proponent of everybody just like getting up there and getting supported and having time cheerleader like that tony basil video right mickey oh mickey you know never i don't know oh that's oh, okay. no i didn't get the reference no it's okay because i'm just old uh the uh, <laughs> i did see a beta video a beta <laughs> that's right there is a beta max it is it is what is it, Mikey's murder? It is <laughs> Mike's murder. Mike's we, murder. Yeah. It not even VH. I was like, oh, a VHS tape, and I looked at it, and I was like, it's not VHS. It's beta. It's beta. But I, I don't ha- know how you got it. Well, I got it off eBay because I'm doing this massive <laughs> movie club on this film that's very uh, underseen, and I do have the VHS, and I have. So you have it on beta and VHS. I do because I bought the the beta. <laughs> Because I thought it came in the appropriate smaller beta size case. So for display purposes, it would be great when I'm talking to the folks from the movie uh-huh. to have it up there, like where the teddy bear is. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, it just arrived and it was in the same goddamn case. So I figured <laughs> keep it exposed, maybe stick it back there and it, it would work. So I have like the soundtrack. I have I don't have the laser disc, which oh. that's that's the more modern technology I have like back there mm-hmm. to live and die in L.A. Uh, laser disc. Now I've officially mentioned it on every show that I've ever done that film. Good. So, uh, I, thank you. And yeah, audiences feed off of each other, mm-hmm. kind of like they do in a movie theater. Yeah. But even more viscerally, right? Because, yeah, because they're encouraged to make noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if people are, like a, a quotient is just dead or hostile, mm-hmm. it, cha- it's, it changes the mood. It changes it. And also, like, the way the room is set up makes such a difference. It's so interesting. Like, I, so I worked at a theater in Amsterdam, a comedy theater. And um, we would uh, set up and break down the room based on what show was up. Oh, yeah. And we were always encouraged for comedy shows to put the chairs as close together as possible. Because comedy audiences, like, you have to be shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people feel self-conscious about laughing. And that was also a huge thing during COVID was, like, oh, yeah. six feet apart tables is, like, obviously, I'm on the side of preventing Oh, I'm not complaining about the about things, but it was it really interesting from a comedy perspective to see the way that the dynamic changed in a room when people weren't right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that throws the performer off too. Absolutely, right? you get on yeah. stage and it's like it's eight disparate groups, and none of them are feeding off each other, and so you're just 
like, like fuck me, I guess. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I guess what the hell. Flop Sweat yeah, is uh, coming. And yeah. I heard David Spade talking about, a sp- he taped a special and then he was like, oh my God. Oh my God, none of them are laughing. Because they had masks on, so he couldn't even it's, You visually. can't even see their faces. Yeah. yeah. Does the front row change everything for you or? It really does, yeah. yeah. It makes a big difference. And there's definitely, because like, I don't, um, I don't have a particular interest in crowd work. There are people that like really specialize in it. Yeah. I don't care. I'm like, I'm here to say the jokes I wrote verbatim at home. (laughs) I don't care about talking to you. But crowd work is really like a comedian's lifeline. It's like, if you're not doing well, you have to go into the room in order to get the energy up. And so, yeah, having a a good first row is a huge thing in terms of getting people on your side and having people who will um, talk to you. And that's a fine line to tread as well, right? Because if you're perceived as like really going for someone in a mean way. Yeah, because the audience identifies more with the crowd than they ever do with you. And oh, so yeah. if you are attacking a crowd member, they're very quickly like, that could be me. She's yeah. a bully. If she does it for one of us, yeah, we're a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're together. We're laughing together. Yeah, if we laugh <laughs> yeah. at that, then before we know it. <laughs> She's coming for me. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, so you have to, you really have to try to find line, especially when someone is being difficult of like making it clear that that will not be tolerated without alienating the rest of the audience. Right, right. Because some people, it's like uh, those um, interactive plays where they sit on someone's lap or they pick them up to dance. (laughs) And if that person is like visibly like, I died, what do you do? I don't want to do this. That's Mm -hmm. a tough one. Yeah. And honestly, what's, what I like the least are like, a negative heckler would be fine. The weirdest audience members are the people who seem to think they're part of the show. Oh, and so yeah. they just respond like you're having a conversation. Like you'll be like, so I was in Austin last week. And they'll be like, I like Austin. And it's like, that wasn't relevant. <laughs> right. You're not commenting on me or anything else. Yeah. You just like Austin. This, yeah, exactly. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? <laughs> and you can't say that because they haven't done anything wrong, technically. So the audience will be like, why is she bullying this poor man who loves Austin? Yeah. And, yeah. And if you said, who gives a fuck? Anyway, so, you yeah. know, tables. You ever have tables full yeah. of stuff? <laughs> this is something pre-roll. Anyone here have any betas? Uh, <laughs> betas like that are yeah, not even hidden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's always interesting. And like when I came back um, uh, in Amsterdam, obviously, like ninety nine percent of my shows were done for people who didn't really know me. And so it was interesting the first time I when I produced my own hour when I came back, it was like a ton of my parents' friends. It was people I'd grown up with. Yeah. And I had to make sure to open the show by being like, "I love you all. I know you're supportive. Please do not positive heckle me because." <laughs> Don't encourage me too much. Yeah, exactly. I need to be drummed down a little bit every time I perform. Or I'll be unbearable. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You didn't. Uh, You're good. uh, Also, if the audience perceives the performer as getting overly deferential treatment, also not good. Also not good. Then they're smelling blood. Like, Mm -hmm. they got to be taken down. Yeah. They're like, who do they think they are? (laughs) Up on that stage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And comedy is such a constant thing of, I remember I saw a show in LA before I'd even started doing stand-up and the MC so clearly needed the audience to like him Oh! and it made me not want to laugh at anything he said. And so then I had to like, I when I started doing stand-up, I 
orchestrated this persona that like didn't need anybody. Mm. And then it took a while for me to actually start doing more vulnerable jokes. And those jokes hit way harder because I had let the wall down. Yeah. And so it's this constant balance of like making sure the audience feels like you don't need them. Yes. While also being vulnerable in yourself and not seeming like you don't care about them. I think the line, right, at least mm -hmm. for me, because uh, I talk about everything. Every once in a while, I wake up going, why did I say that? But not all the time, just every once in a while. You know, mm -hmm. we're in those special moods where our mental illnesses are driving sure, the car. Sure, yes. Uh, but I think the vulnerability is also part of the thing where you, I don't really give a fuck. Mm -hmm. I don't care about you to any great degree. Hope you laugh, but if you don't, go fuck yourself. That's, of course, tacitly yeah. uh, <laughs> spoken because it's not. You can't say that. Imagine starting your set like that, like that. Yeah, fuck uh, you guys. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, great. You're here and stuff, but because they'll book me again. But don't give a fuck what you think. So anyway, let's yeah. enjoy the show. <laughs> Tables, Betamax. Uh, <laughs> well, I, so yeah, I think for me, that's one of the things. Like, well, if they think I'm this, and that's something I struggle with too, because uh, you know, childhood bullying or people mm -hmm. being mean. In a way, it's like not being terribly nice to myself, but also it's a way of countering that impulse to hide things about myself. Do you feel the anything near that or completely oppose it? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Are we going to fight? We well, I think we're already agree? fighting. Yeah. It's just in a subtle way so the people watching don't know because we care too much about what they think. Oh, shit. I yeah, just we've been away. kicking each other under the camera this oh, whole yeah, time. Oh, yeah, exactly. The angles hide it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I mean, to a certain extent, I do feel like I'm, I'm often doing this thing of fronting a lot of vulnerable things. So people think I'm being honest <laughs> while hiding all the things that I actually need to. So like, I'll talk about anything from my past. Yes, that's the key. Yeah. But like, you won't know what fucked up stuff I'm up to today. Right. Um, right. Stuff in the past, like people who talk about. Oh, well, years ago, I used to do lots of drugs or it's always year. If, it if it's in the past, it's cool. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, it's the same kind of principle. Like if someone is under a certain economic state and they drink too much, they're a drunk. Mm -hmm. If they are very wealthy, they're just eccentric. They're eccentric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that uh, you're, you are sober mm -hmm. as I am mostly uh, uh certainly from booze for a long long time mm -hmm. yeah when did uh, that come about it's been in the last year definitely oh, okay. so yeah very recent um but i felt it coming on for a long time before that yeah, yeah. it's a difficult one to do mainly because of the societal uh, in, in, it's the just everywhere yeah it is i remember trying to like just get alcohol ads removed from reddit so that I wouldn't have to look at it all the time. And that took a long time for yeah. me to, to get that done. Um, yeah. And also just, the, I think also as a performer, it's hard. Like 99% of stand-up shows are at bars. So Yeah. And it was the routine before. It was like I would have a beer and I would smoke a cigarette and then I would go on stage. Um, and having to recalibrate. And like, and for a little bit I was like, am I still funny when i'm sober that's a common issue for people mm -hmm. musicians like joe walsh 
was really scared if that he's going to be able to play guitar and that's like joe walsh one of the like the greatest guitarists ever <laughs> so it's a common it, i find that helps finding people like that and you're like oh because like well find, who's your person that you either read about or listen to every time they're on a podcast or um listen to their specials or watch them i guess would be the right mm-hmm. term for that that gives you that uh kind of inspiration in any manner yeah i'd say maria bamford is probably the number one for me that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense in many ways. She's a brilliant, does all kinds of different modes of comedy. Mm-hmm. I had the pleasure of improving with her once oh, on the show. Man. It was with Di- the Diane character. I was thrilled. I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. <laughs> it's like getting to play guitar with, I guess, Joe Walsh, mm-hmm. um, which wouldn't be good because he would outclass me and then sure. I'd be so insecure afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing it went well, too, with Maria. That'd mm-hmm. be like, I'm going to cut that part out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and also Bamford does do the intensely vulnerable discussion about her present uh, mm-hmm. mental illness and things in the past. And in terms of that, what mental illnesses do you enjoy? <laughs> well, um, I, uh, I have, so I labored under the depression and general anxiety diagnoses for about a decade. Uh-huh. Last year, I got the bipolar two diagnosis. No way. Me too. Really? Yeah. I'd high five you if we weren't too far. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so when did you get yours? Um, November or December of last year. Okay. Yeah. Mine was like August. Yeah. A summertime diagnosis Mm -hmm. is fab. It's what we all want. Yeah. Yeah. Just sweat through it. Sweat through it. And also uh, maybe have your worst episode ever prompted by pandemic uh, afterburn Mm -hmm. and also um, having a child. For me. I did not have to deal with that. I would have not <laughs> coped with that well. I was I was dealing with my own child, which was me, which was very <laughs> difficult. I regressed a lot. I watched all the Tinkerbell movies on repeat. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Comfort yeah. movies are like very important, first of all. Yeah. But also an indication that maybe something needs to be uh, Yeah, I literally... Th- so there are six Tinkerbell movies. There's six? There's six. And I watched exclusively those movies yeah. for a month. I just on repeat. That's impressive. Uh, also, thank God that there was six of them. I know. Although only three of them are any good. So I really only repeated the the last three. It's a tough one when you're obsessed with something. Like mm-hmm. Dynasty was a real <laughs> staff of life for me a couple years ago. I have the box set. I watched every single one. It did get to the point where I was doing some admin editing mm-hmm. stuff and had it on the background because it takes a big dive. <laughs> A big one. Then um, I don't know. Oh, I didn't used to have it up here. Oh wait, no. I'm I'm looking at a mirrored version of myself. Murder she wrote. Mm-hmm. Big one. Twelve seasons. It's a lot. Twenty two episodes a season. Uh, so yeah, there's mm-hmm. these things that are important, but also can be indicators that I might have to go back to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And it was. I remember my uh, my parents went out of the country for two weeks. And I had to be deposited at a relative's house because I couldn't be trusted to be alone. Wow. And, um, and that's my, good for the self-confidence too. That's, it's really good. Yeah. It's, and also what was so funny is my sweet, wonderful mother accidentally texted me instead of my aunt. Being like, <laughs> oh boy. We're going out of the country. Are you okay taking care of Olivia <laughs> while we're gone? It's like, and, and you read that I'm, I have a feeling like 
Oh, so I'm like a, a feral wolf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I'm yeah. being cat sat. <laughs> if it's okay. Begrudgingly. If they feel like they if have. If they feel like they have the emotional energy for it. Yeah. yeah. So I stayed with my aunt and uncle. And um, and my mom, I wrote it later, texted my aunt being like, she's only watching the Tinkerbell movies. And my aunt was like, oh boy. My mom was like, I watched one with her. And my aunt was like, oh, so she's really unwell? Because my mom is a big movie snob. So the fact that she willingly watched Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast with me was, uh, was a big concession on her part. I, that's amazing. It shows how much she cares, though. Mm-hmm. So there's, that's yes. a good way to look at it. And reframing is so important, particularly with the the, the condition we enjoy. Yes, uh, the and luck we have. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very hard to do. I can do it for others. And I go, well, why don't you look at it this way? Like, mm-hmm. you didn't fail so much as you have a learning experience. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it takes people a longer time. Yeah. It's okay to take your own time. Not for me. Yo, no, I have to do it immediately. Same here. If I'm not doing it right now, I'm failing. But you take as much time as you need. Yeah, no, yeah. you do it because I, I, I can, I can care about everyone else more than me. But I don't, exactly. If someone says, "Oh, you have low this or low that," or you don't love yourself enough, which I don't believe that one at all. Mm-hmm. But I'm, like, you want to be like, go shut the fuck up. How? Do, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, because then there's. The, but the other thing is, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Just like you can't on stage say that. You can't Larry David it with people, mm-hmm. even though sometimes it's healthy to do that. Do, do you find yourself held back from that in personal life? Like being honest with people about? About stuff that like offends you or is uh, against your principles. See, my trauma response is freeze fawn. Mm-hmm. I would rather have it be outburst, quite frankly. Because eventually, if someone is triggering you like that, you don't want them in your life, but you keep them around because <laughs> you're being deferential. <laughs> So it's a catch 22 and a half. Yeah, it's so funny because like it, internally I have such a strong moral line of like absolutely not this is not okay. And then I'll get face to face with someone and I'll be like it's totally fine. Like don't even worry about it. Like it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. And then I'll go home and I'll be like what was that you coward? Yeah. Why didn't you say what you actually believed? And then the next time it happens, I'll overcompensate and people will be like, Olivia, you need to calm down. Why did you talk to them like that? Uh, yeah. Like you almost seek them out. Yes. <laughs> I'm a... like, say something. Do it. Yeah, I, do I've it. been saving up a retort in the shower <laughs> ever <laughs> since then. I'm ready for it. Yeah. And I that happens to me too. During that episode, which was like the grand mall uh, seizure of episodes, um, it was so like so. The good thing was that Ada was there to witness it. You know, it was great for her uh, being pregnant and she had very encouraging, well, for very her. calming, yeah, very calming. And mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, be as reassuring as possible, which I was in every other way. And this helped because she could witness it and also be like you. I, I said that wasn't like I wasn't like being like manic, right? Because that's the other thing you sort of do that thing where you're like that wasn't that, right? Which is mm-hmm. a trap for the other person essentially, which is against my principles too, like you were saying. <laughs> uh, so then we can feel good about that, but um, it's good to not be able to hide it because uh, championship masker myself of various things, and I have a feeling you were as well because you're not uh, any comedian is hyper aware of how they're coming across and mm-hmm. uh, so that's a tricky one to um I'll, again the vulnerability how much do you show how much do you not show mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's certainly hard be- and it's and it's interesting because there are times where like i'll lie to people who i'm very close to about how i'm doing and then i'll go to an open mic and i'll be completely honest about every horrible thing that i've done that week how does um, it present for you by the way um, because I've found that there's this 
spectrum of behavior and about bipolar two for those uh who don't understand what the difference is is that bipolar one has very very manic like people thinking not that they can fly Mm -hmm. but a complete lack of perception of financial restrictions or anything else uh like wild notions and we get hypomanic which is not as fun. I know. I say that too. <laughs> I say that too. And people are like, what? What do you mean? And I'm like, no. Go look up the definition. Yeah. We get 80% depression. And then when we're hypomanic. And literally, so when I first got the diagnosis, my whole family was like, there's no way. They were like, that doesn't make any sense. Nothing about you presents as manic. And then we read that hypomania can manifest as irritability. <laughs> and they were yeah. all like, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then when I've had that, or I'm sure when you've had it, it's completely counter to your regular personality. So then you don't want to uh, reveal it, which leads to a little bit of being a shut-in, disappearing from things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think that's the only responsible thing to do, except except for around a couple friends who understand, like my friends uh, Spencer and Chelsea, who Ada and I like to say uh, Chelsea and uh, Spencey. Spelsy and Chenser as a, <laughs> as a fun uh, goof on what's that par- portmento something like the malapropism or something mm-hmm. um, th- something Ringo would do so uh, they understand and they said well the thing is you're just very excitable and sometimes you do this thing where you start a thing and you start talking about it and then in rapid succession and it's sort of pressured speech you don't finish it where unlike here I can like reel back to stuff that we were talking about which is I think actually a positive function of ADHD. So that too, and much like your misdiagnosis in a much different way, my ADHD diagnosis had in it uh, also presents sign of dysmia, which is another way of saying, I think agitated depression. And uh, what does it call it? Um, The thing where you resist what anyone else is saying. Uh, it's I can't remember. Uh, something defines like... Um, Oppositional. Thank defense. you. Thank you very much. Ding, ding, ding. Winner. <laughs> I was a psych major. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it, that's. A, and then you're like, wait, I studied this stuff and I didn't catch this. And then I think I talk about mental health on 95% of the shows. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I can't see that myself in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you've performed probably in that state, but you managed to mask. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, my mom has said before, she's always like, you put on a good show. Like, there have been times where, like, I have been just like a wet noodle at home. Like, completely incapable of, like, engaging or just, like, laying on our floor. I'm a big floor layer. Oh, That's, yeah. 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 Um, and we'll have some sort of social engagement and I'll arrive and be like, <laughs> And she's, I think she's a little disturbed by it. I think she's like... It's upsetting that she's so good at covering this. Yeah. But definitely I th- think that it is a helpful thing to have with stand-up because it means regardless Massively. of the day that I'm having, yeah. I'm fine on stage. Yeah. yeah, which is, that's professionalism, folks. That's what that's all about. <laughs> that's what being a pro is. I mean, look at Richard Lewis, right? Uh, he had a crazy um, journey of alcoholism into Matthews, which he talks about very openly. But Howard mm-hmm. Stern was like, I don't believe you. Um, he's a little bit more evolved these days. But he did this, something that even Richard Lewis said was funny. He was like, wait, you were an alcoholic on champagne? That's not real alcoholism. 
And he, he brought a bottle out and a glass. And he was like, here you go. And Lewis has said, that's the funniest thing you've ever done on the show. But it's that's pretty like pretty like tasteless, which right. I, I still think it's great to have the audacity. But um, people not believing mm-hmm. or having a complete misunderstanding of what it is, as the doctors did, which is something they do especially for women. Yeah. Anxiety. She's got anxiety. Not ADHD, not autism, mm-hmm. anxiety. She's a little high strung. Yeah. And I I remember I've had a few, I think it's also hard because like I have such a need to please authority figures <laughs> and I group therapists in with that group. And so I've had some issues before where like four months into seeing them, I'll mention something and they're like, why haven't you told me about this before? And I'm like, I wanted you to like me. Like, I wanted you to be proud of me. I wanted you to like me. And also, and again, to me, that's a bit of freeze fawn, not to be diagnosing mm-hmm. you. But uh, I've had that b- bit too, which then leads to rumination, which is a classic feature of bipolar two and I think one. But then I've been really trying hard to, or been trying really hard to not correct myself no uh, like i just did but trying really hard to confront those things like you said but it takes me a little while but then mm-hmm. i i tell myself okay it's all right like you said before in your own time to do that because you're working through something that has been present in your life for so long yeah yeah and it's definitely like i think that there are things that i didn't it's it's sort of interesting to me to like look at myself from outside and be like, okay, what am I okay with people knowing about? Like the depression, I've always been like, I'll be like, I'm Olivia and I'm sad. Like right <laughs> off the bat, I'm like, this is who I am and yeah. you should know that about me. But th- definitely like my drinking was the thing that like I didn't talk to anybody about or like self-harm. That was a big thing that I wouldn't talk to anybody about. Do you mind talking about Just, it now? Like, no, I don't. And, I really yeah, okay. don't. Yeah. And it was, I also definitely I did it in a way that like like I would hit myself in the face and it like I considered it a positive that like it's really hard to make your forehead bruise because people wouldn't know <laughs> and um <laughs> yeah it's great I can hide this yeah. the thing I can hide exactly so that, that hopefully I won't ever get treated for mm-hmm. it yes exactly um and so it was always really interesting to me like yeah weird to look at myself from outside yeah and be like what i people consider my stand-up so vulnerable and i'm really only talking about like 30 percent of what's actually happening for me essentially the surface stuff that in other people would be like really surface like Mm -hmm. obviously surface and look there's plenty of stuff i have as well that i think it's good to have that line Mm -hmm. um, because it shows a sense of self-awareness that may seem like it's not there but that's for other people to interpret that way (laughs) not myself yeah or yourself uh how long or rather let's start again with that one because uh, do you mind if i ask what medication you're on for oh yeah sure so i take uh zoloft and lithium oh wow so you went for lithium Mm -hmm. i and i'm not knocking what works for you or uh what's that yucking your yum (laughs) 
I hate that expression. I hate the phrase yum anyway. And I like the sentiment, but the phrase yucking your yum, I'm not a fan of. I hate it. And yeah. especially because often it's applied to sexuality. Right. And I'm like, please, that's... <laughs> and I got a very strong stomach for any sexual stuff. It, it, even especially actually for practices that I myself would never want to do, like sounding. But Jerry and Sophie were on the show explicitly running down the whole thing had a kit with them and i was i'm just like wow look at that wow someone does that someone wants wow that's something i didn't know Mm -hmm. interesting but please don't say the word yum around that's it yeah (laughs) anything else no don't say that so and then i'm trying to not do that thing where i hate an expression so much that i Mm -hmm. I reference it and then it becomes part of my regular vocab (laughs) um but in terms of your medication, mm-hmm. I was so scared of lithium because my uncle died from lithium poisoning. He was diagnosed very late in life. Surprisingly, had alcohol problems mm. because they didn't in the 60s. What the hell did they know? Nothing. Uh, no. And it'd be interesting in 20 years if we're like, they didn't know a thing about this stuff. But lithium I avoided because doing independent research about my favorite creative people that I just knew were bipolar, like Bob Fosse. Mm-hmm. Bob Fosse said it killed his sex drive. And if Bob Fosse <laughs> could have his sex drive killed, what hope do any of us have? So with with your, um, not prescription of choice, but did you have to try a few different things before you arrived at that combo? Um, so I was on, so pre my diagnosis, I was on Wellbutrin for years. And that helped a lot with my depression, but it made my anxiety way worse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I and I just had a terrible psychiatrist who, like, when I came to him and I was like, I've started having panic attacks. He was like, Well, let's put you on an SSRI. And I was like, I don't want to be in on on an NDRI and an SSRI if I don't have to be. Yeah. Um, Too many acronyms. Yeah, exactly. And so then he just put me on like uh, lorazepam, which is like an in the moment tranquilizer. Um, in the family of Xanax, for those not fam- yeah. not skilled in the art yeah. <laughs> of the medication uh, Jamboree. Yes, where you just take it when you feel anxious as opposed to something you take every day. And then um, I was just on Zoloft and then she, she increased my dose. Um, and actually, I talk about this in my stand-up, but my, my brother-in-law sells bipolar 2 medication. Oh, wow. And so when she put me on Zoloft, he was like, Zoloft can trigger a manic episode with people with bipolar, so you should be careful. And she increased my dose, and then I started, like, I lost my mind. Like, I started hearing noises that my parents couldn't hear, and, wow. like, I just felt crazy. So then she decreased it, and she added the lithium. Um, so for her... She was trying to avoid having me on the lithium. She was very much like, we're only going to, because it's kind of intense. Like when you're on lithium, like you can't take anything else. You have to run any other medication by your doctor pretty much. Wow. Um, you can't take uh, NSA IDs. Like you can only take acetaminophen. Um, so you can't take ibuprofen or aspirin or oh, anything wow. like that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, is, that, is that because of like what it might do to your liver or is it a mental uh, risk? So I've Googled it a bunch of times and I still don't have a super clear idea. All I can tell is like it does something bad with the lithium and it's bad for your body. Doctor said I'm yeah. going to go on that. Yeah. I, that is one of the most frustrating things with all the information out there. All the reddits about mental health cannot find a specific explanation. Yeah. Um, I might also just be an idiot who knows but uh maybe i'm bad at google well you know what just err on the side of caution (laughs) yeah 
Um, and um, it, it's been good so far, but recently I've been getting the sense that it's just not sort of doing what I need it to do. So um, now I'm looking at another we're looking to recalibrate the whole thing. So I'm curious if uh, you're looking at lamotrigine, aka lamactyl, which is what I'm on. I haven't yet, but tell me about it. I find it's fantastic. I have not been on a series of other uh, drugs to or medications, let's say correctives to uh, <laughs> ascertain whether or not those are good for me. But my doctor also said SSRIs, and also, of course, I did obsessive research mm-hmm. uh, and. That's the thing I this was reading a lot that SSRIs, which are something that I've been afraid of because I'm like, what if it doesn't work? And it's going to take 90 days to find that out. Yeah. And a doctor once gave me Prozac for ADHD, which is completely, completely I wrong. I've never heard of that. And he had samples in his office. So later I was like, oh, like he's one of those guys that gets uh, yacht trips. Yeah. To, to be From a rep. Prozac. Yeah. Yeah. And you shouldn't have that much in the cabinet. Um, and <laughs> I didn't know that you shouldn't drink on it. Or be careful when you drink on it. I had two drinks and blacked out. And so I drank years and years and years ago. Sure, uh, but scary. Super scary, yeah. And then it's not it's not helping the ADHD. So And then you're irritable. And then guess what? You're bipolar too, so you're very irritable. <laughs> yeah, which is not good, especially if you're in a situation where you're freezing and fawning. And then your rumination, like you mm-hmm. said, the thing you think about in the shower. And uh, then you're like, I got I to gotta tell them. And then your loved ones hear all about it. So it's a nice, it's great. It's like a, a care package. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How have you found the treatment to um, ameliorate the symptoms in in terms of how you approach work and all of that and your um, love relationship? Yeah, I would say... Um... So yeah, I mean, these days I think uh, the lithium is still working. I think probably the the Zoloft is what needs to be replaced. Um, just because I feel like the, de- I think I I can't be on a high enough dose to really treat the depression without right. sort of losing it. Um, and I think it worked at first, but now it's sort of um, waned. Um, the lithium was pretty mind blowing because I remember like. I was out at some social event and then the next morning I woke up and I was like, everyone hated me. I'm a nightmare. I'm the worst. I don't know how to talk to people. And then I was like, or maybe I was like cool and people really like me and that's why they keep inviting me. Yeah. And I have never had that second thought before. Oh, see, I used to when I was much younger and then through the uh, magic of the pandemic and also the absence of ability to access the ketamine, uh, et cetera, that I was using to self-medicate uh, mm-hmm. during a very, like, uh, in one way, wonderful time because I was able to fly around and, and interview people in different locales, but not, like, looking at the fact that my workaholism mm-hmm. has been a classic uh, fix, in quotes, to those issues. And then also the ketamine just provided uh, relief right. from the other things. And now it's it's comforting to see that that is a, a official treatment for people um but prohibitively expensive even though it's right. literally the same stuff but in a liquid form but that's the magic of this country's medical system <laughs> what a beautiful healthcare system it's yeah, the, yeah. and mm-hmm. particularly when you get to go to london i like i live part-time in london mm-hmm. so i was completely shocked at how 
little to charge, which means nothing. Yeah. When I was in Amsterdam, I'd been there for a month and I didn't have health insurance yet because I hadn't Uh gotten my um, BSN yet, which is like your burger service number so how you so you can you can work at most uh fry cook jobs and yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly so you can work at mcdonald's um and um uh, my closet collapsed on my head and it split my head open oh my god and i had to get an ambulance to the emergency room and they were like we're so sorry because you don't have insurance you're gonna have to pay out of pocket and i was like how much will it be and they were like 250 euros and i was like Hey, here, take 300. I was like, yeah, take whatever you want. That's fine. <laughs> Did you guys take tips? Because um, <laughs> you guys have been nice. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty mind-blowing. And uh, to Amsterdam, what was that like moving there? Had you visited before? So I, I visited once before. My, my sister and I went after my freshman year of college, uh, my first year of college. And um, uh, I loved it. Like We were only there for three days, but I had the sense already like, I could live here. I could be here one day. Um, and then, um, yeah, once I moved there, I just like the quality of life is so high. I moved there knowing nobody. So I had zero connections. Um, it's very impressive, by the way. It, it- well, <laughs> it's funny. People, people say that. But I honestly think it really taught me a lot about my anxiety because like, yes, I was in a foreign country knowing nobody, having to figure out like healthcare and my job and everything. And I don't think I had ever been less anxious in my life. Like I, my realization really was like, oh, it's people knowing me. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I can do anything alone as long as no, there's no horror, the mortifying ordeal of being known. <laughs> so, yeah. You're like, so basically if I keep myself locked up like a veal, mm-hmm. no problem. I'll be fine. I'll totally. have tender meat, no moving out. <laughs> um, and then after like a month, I was like, Oh, I'm starting to get weird. I should see people. And that's when I went to the board game night where I met my boyfriend. That's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had the impulse and you followed it. That's another thing, too, when you get the idea. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I should go do something. Don't just sit there and go, well, maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) Do it. I I found Mm -hmm. being able to travel solo, which is a real key piece of the puzzle. Because I'd taken trips to New York before, but with exes Mm -hmm. and maybe some financial um, compromises on what I can do. So, therefore, New York isn't like the best place. Sure. Yeah. One of the most expensive cities in the world is tricky to. No, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. And it also that impacts where you can stay, which impacts your good times. But then I was able to do like two week stints in New York. I have a bunch of friends there. All that stuff. Uh, And I found that. I, well, I really discovered that I have a bit of a agor- excuse me, I'm choked up with emotion. Uh, the uh, I have a bit of uh, agoraphobia, which presents here as well. We talked about the walking, mm-hmm. um, but I was kind of afraid of going places, and then I made myself just go. All right, we're we're doing this. We're gonna, and then, and then you realize you can do a lot of stuff. Like I feel like that's what you were saying as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I. It's funny because like. Uh, once I started dating my boyfriend, I think that was the first time I really started going to restaurants because I was also like, I was fine being there alone, <laughs> but I couldn't handle the social anxiety of entering a restaurant and having to deal with another person. Yeah. So, and, and my mom still makes fun of me because I, 
Um, I was looking up the best places to get work done in Amsterdam, and I found this place called the Hoxton, which is I later ended up working there. But they're also based out of London. Yeah, the hotel. It's mm-hmm. the greatest hotel. Yeah, I've ever been at. Um, so I worked there as a waitress for almost a year. Oh, cool. Um, but when I I was f- the first time I went there was because I was looking for the best places to get work done so I could apply to jobs, and I couldn't figure out how the door worked, like the front door, and I was so intimidated. Like I walked up to the door, I couldn't figure it out. I just left. I did a lap around the block, and then I just stood against the canal until I saw someone else enter, and then I could figure out how to get inside. And my mom was like, you moved to a foreign country by yourself, but you couldn't enter a building because you were too nervous about looking stupid. Let me reframe that for you. I'm so good at that with other people. (laughs) Though that probably tripped all your wires, pressed all your buttons, etc., you thought, I'm not going to let this get in my way. So I'm going to go stand and observe, which is actually very crafty, and then see how someone else does it. And being a quick mimic, you went and you did the thing and you didn't uh, avoid the thing that you wanted to do. I like that reframing. That makes me feel much better. Thank you, Craig. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. See, the, the glass uh, uh, didn't have water in it and it was overflowing. Mm-hmm. So. As they all, the classic ex- expression goes. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, that's exactly. How it goes. Yeah. <laughs> like Mama always said. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Mama. Uh, wait, wasn't Mama in the audience the night that I saw you at Poplar Kids Club? She was in the audience. And she yes. didn't claim being. She did not claim. I. <laughs> so the night that Craig and I met, I was doing a show at Popular Kids Club. And I said, Are there, are there, are there any moms in the audience? Thinking there would be many, but certainly at least my mother. And yeah. instead, Nobody raised their hand. And I had to say, I know that's not true because my mom is in the audience tonight. She inadvertently gave you a hilarious. She she did give me a good line. Yeah, Yeah, it was very good. Mm -hmm. And that shows also your spontaneity and uh, ability to move in the moment. When you said that, you know, you write out all your jokes. You actually write them out? So it's changed. It used to be I wrote every single joke out verbatim with like pauses and ums and errs and stuttering written in. And then I realized that's not really conducive to, like with stand-up you really have to feel out like how things are going in the actual moment. Yeah. So now it's much less verbatim than it used to be. But I still write out pretty much the whole premise of the joke. I'm still not one of those comedians who can just be like, caramelized onions. <laughs> Let's riff <laughs> right. on that. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. The, I've heard a lot about people with just like a note on a card. Mm-hmm. And like Lewis again. It's actually his stand-up I'm not as keen on as his talk show appearances, which mm-hmm. happens a lot. But I know Leno writes the stuff out, and mm-hmm. then that's it. I think that – no, no, Seinfeld. Sorry, Seinfeld does that. And then we'll modify one word, and it's obsessive about it, which I guess you have to be with comedy or anything that you're doing creatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting seeing the way that like things changed because – I used to have one massive document on my computer with like every joke written out verbatim on it. And then um, I had this one joke that I started doing like mid-pandemic about how my boyfriend calls me Muffin. And I had it, the original version written out. And then when things really went into lockdown, when we came out of it, I was trying to find the version of the joke. And I realized it had changed a ton over the course of the time I had been doing it, but I only had the original version written out and I no longer <laughs> remembered the adapted version of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shoot. 
man, I got to get better at writing out how I make things better. Yeah. Um, There's that in everything. Like, I'll be like, oh, did I tell that story before? Then I listen to Mark Maron and I'm like, he was a doorman at the comedy store. (laughs) I think I didn't know that before. And I think that's fine because it's part of one story. And what are we going to do? Rewrite it every time? Yeah. I think I remember finding there's like a YouTube video that's like, Trixie and Katya repeating the same stories for three hours, and it's just a compilation of them telling the same stories. Over and I over love again. that. I love that. I was thinking of for the To Live and Die in LA movie club, which I've now mentioned twice in the episode, um, doing a, a supercut of that. And then I thought, I don't have a transcript of my shows. That would be one of those tunnels I can get in that I'll never get out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, back to the fun stuff. Um, so when you're bi- uh, when you're bipolar, mm-hmm. when you have an episode, it's irritability. And do you have any? Uh, well, now that you're you're being treated, do you find that the waves of depression can they're still there, but they're of a shorter duration than previous? Um, yeah, I I certainly feel like I feel like each even pre like the bipolar diagnosis, I felt like each time the depression hit. I had better tools to deal with it and a better like network and more ability to reach out and, and more ability to, to recognize the signs. And I also think the bipolar diagnosis has put a lot of things into perspective because before I used to just think like, oh, I have two forms of depression. I have the depression where I'm super sad and everything is meaningless and I want to die. And then I also have the depression where I think everything's fine and then I look up like three months in and I realize my life has fallen apart around me and now I'm like oh that makes a lot more sense for hypomania that I'm just in brief spats ruining things for myself (laughs) without really clocking it. (laughs) Yeah because there's like subtle forms of self-sabotage where like there's an opportunity but maybe you're a little slow on it and the window for it which in the performing arts is a strange thing. There is a window of opportunity that yeah. for no discernible reason will close. Mm-hmm. Whether it's reaching out to a guest or a, a gig that you might get at, uh, at a club or something. Uh, and with the, the gigs and everything, what's the difference that you found being back in L.A.? And how long have you been back in L.A. too? Yeah, I've been back just over a year. Um, I found... Um, so open mics in Amsterdam are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like people in Amsterdam will pay to go to an open mic. They will pay to watch six comedians do new material. And that's wild. Yeah, that is wild. Uh, and yeah, so you could count on going on a Thursday and doing 10 minutes of new material to a sold out room. I wonder if that has something to do with the European sensibility. Amsterdam is considered European. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Don't worry. You're fine. I get that Amsterdamese that gets confused. <laughs> Um, the, I think there's something about Europeans in general that have always, uh, they've always appreciated art in its many forms. And I'm starting to wonder actually, if it has something to do with the economic security that one gets when they can go to the hospital Mm -hmm. and not be charged outrageously or have wild inflation, though I'm not really aware of what that situation is in Europe. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's relatively on par with the rest of the world, but I think not quite as bad as America. Yeah. I wonder if it's maybe just the tradition because jazz artists legendarily could go over there and be treated the way they should be treated, whereas in America, they would not be. Or, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, Jerry Lewis, the known champion. <laughs> For the of, eighth time. Yeah, yes. the known <laughs> champion of female comedians. <laughs> 
And for those not familiar listening, just Google Jerry Lewis women funny. <laughs> a lot of people would say Jerry Lewis isn't funny. Mm-hmm. So, but the French revere him as an auteur. So, yeah, I mean, I think I do think some a part of it is like what in Amsterdam enabled me to be a professional comedian quickly is also what made me want to leave, which is that the English scene is tiny. Mm. And so people, um, because Amsterdam is such an international city, like English is sort of the language of all of the expats. And so people are eager to hear comedy in a language they understand. Um, And also a lot of the English comedy is making fun of Dutch people. Like a lot of my comedy when I was there was making fun of Dutch people. And I have to say, to their credit, Dutch people take it like champs. Like they, they are really good sports about making fun of Dutch people. Yeah, uh, because they know they're better than us, so like they're fine. Right. You know? They're like that's hilarious. Yeah. They're trying to exactly. They're trying to punch up. It's like, uh, exactly, yeah. and they're like, and they're missing because we're six five. We're yeah, fine. Exactly, and we have a big resistance yeah. barrier that they're never going to punch through. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, but. Open mics there were awesome, but it also meant that like once I had become a professional, I had pretty quickly reached as far as I was going to go there, which is you're going to perform at the same three clubs, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you're going to do the same 20-minute set, and that's going to be it. Which is um, really in a much more advanced way, the person who's the funniest in their friend group and or people who are really funny and could do comedy, or and they just find the one little area where they're appreciated but it's not going to develop into anything. It's like uh, Everybody's All-American, the one of the many films. Not many, but it's a Taylor Hackford film about superstar in the school and college football player who mm-hmm. has a very difficult rest of his life. Yes. It's and, very much big fish, small pond situation. Yeah. Um, and because it's a small pond, it also means there aren't really any offshoots. Like there's not much of an of an indie scene there or alternative scene. So like I had quite a few friends who had come from London to perform at boom Chicago, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the improv theater in Amsterdam who were like there, like London has such a massive alternative comedy scene. Like if you are into like silent clowning, with like (laughs) a bent towards neo-noir, you're going to find a scene like that in London. Um, And that is not so much a thing in Amsterdam. Okay. In in, in the English scene, I couldn't speak to the Dutch scene. Um, And in LA, like the opportunities are much bigger. Like Popular Kids Club is like such a cool show. Mm-hmm. That's and a great those, vibe. Those, of course, everyone's familiar with it. <laughs> but for those, the few, the five people yes. that aren't, right? Um, it is a great mixture of newer comedians and people like Mark Marin mm-hmm. or Scott Thompson, who was there who the was night at that the, we met. Yeah. yeah, who was wonderful and mm-hmm. lovely to be around. Yes, so and, nice. So nice. Oh and I uh, inadvertently made him laugh. And I was like, <laughs> this is a thrill. You're going to carry that for the rest of your life? Exactly, yeah? exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mention it not as many times as to live and die in L.A. But <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And I asked him what his information was to get him on the show. And mm-hmm. he gave it to me. But I haven't followed up. See, this is the mm, window. The window. The window. The window. Um, but as he won't remember me anyway, it's uh, fine. But yeah, that show is great. I don't get to go to it as often as I would like. Uh, my dear friend Spencer, who I mentioned earlier, Spencer Rollins, mm-hmm. uh, co-produces it. And Such a lovely person. Uh, isn't he lovely? Could you tell me the full name of the other person? Because I know only know their first name. 
the main MC. I don't know his last name. Okay, I'm going to have to redact that. I... <laughs> That's okay. I don't know if he listens. So, uh, and plus, we plug the show a lot. We so, plug the show a lot. Yeah, and he's a little self-deprecating. It's in line with his yeah. mode of operation, mm-hmm. and it's uh, in Highland Park. Yeah, ish. Yeah. yeah, I think. So it's a bit of a journey for me to get there, particularly not being a car owner anymore. Car Ernie, I'm not a car Ernie anymore. <laughs> so uh, I'm not a carney. And then um, with the current state of Ubers, it's mm-hmm. like. 50 bucks to get there which on principle can't do yeah so what other nights if there are any do you frequent uh Uh, yeah well that's been um uh it's been interesting because open mics in la are a nightmare open mics in la are like you pay five dollars to go to a room to do new material in front of four other comedians who aren't paying attention so you have to pay yeah Oh, yeah. You have to pay to do the mic in most mics in LA. Pay to be the entertainment. Yeah. No matter what your quality level is, pay to be the entertainment. Because you're paying to work on things the way they see it. Oh, yeah. For me. Fucking bullshit line. Yeah. Like Mitzi Shore used to say about the comedy store before that guy jumped off a building. You know about the, the, oh, there was a big strike in, I think if you listen to the Tom Dreesen episode on Mark Maron, but the first one, excuse me, uh, now I've mentioned him more than uh, Mike's murder. Anyway, uh, uh, trying to think of another film. Not just, um, yeah. So there was a big strike, and there was a division of people between Bud Friedman's club. But that's the Improv, I think. Right? He started the Improv. Yes, he did because there used to be that show, the, an evening at the Improv. Okay. And he'd introduce, "Hi, I'm Bud Friedman." He's also on Marin uh, at some point, but he's a pivotal figure because I think in New York he was one of the first guys to really have a club not have comedians performing at like folk clubs or mm-hmm. strip clubs that's a i can't imagine a more hostile audience than that they're just like we want to see nudity but there was this division between the improv people and the comedy store people and that was fueled also by the competition just between mitzi and and it was that, like that thing with leno and other talk shows if you're right. on this one you're not allowed on this one then there was a strike because they weren't getting paid and they'd be the regular people. And she would say, well, yeah, but you get the opportunity for exposure and all that. Then a guy, one of the comedians, killed himself by jumping off a building with a note pinned to his chest regarding the thing. And after that, it was like, we got to do something about this. So I think Dreesen was actually one of the leaders of the union, if you will. So anyway, welcome to LA, everybody. <laughs> Come on over. It's very sunny. It's very sunny and very amenable. Sunny. Yes. Yeah. So uh, to get back to what you're saying, you have to pay five bucks to then work stuff out. Yeah. And and I was always like, well, I'm not gaining anything from four comedians not paying attention to me. So <laughs> I could do the same thing working out a joke alone in my room without paying $5 or driving somewhere. Yeah. So certainly, yeah, the open mics are rough. I will say um, if you are a lady or non-binary, um, Witty Titties is a great open mic. Uh, in Burbank. Um, it's usually, I think they're doing twice a week now. There's oh, cool. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and they do three slots, so six, seven, and eight. Um, and it is so cool and so supportive and amazing. Um, I also, I had a good time. I watched Abbott Kidding. Um, they're on Abbott Kinney. Oh, wow. Um, That's, how did they? <laughs> I don't know how they came up with the name. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very strange. It's separate from what it actually is. Yeah, that's the wild part. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really crazy. It's, it's just um, a magic show. Yeah. But oh. no one would have known. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, that wasn't even a good joke. I'm embarrassed about that. Advocating. Uh, I was it's going a good along show. with it as if it was like uh, the real thing. So it was a good joke. But I was um, uh, uh, I was doing yes and. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, that one I had a lot of fun watching. Um, but honestly, I don't know if I could. Uh, Pick a place that's like a regular thing outside of yeah. like popular kids club. I've or... sort of bopped around. Love, yeah, popular kids club was a great time. They had, yeah, a great mix of like really big headliners and then like more local talent and um, gender mixed, racially mixed, progressive in yeah. in nature, which mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's a great one. Who are your influences? <laughs> Who actually, this is a better version of that question, one I prefer, but don't ask apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, when, around when were you aware that this is something that not only you wanted to do, but had probably an aptitude for? You had mentioned the long gestation period, mm-hmm. but when did that even start, that thought? So I, um, I was always, I was a funny kid, but I was sort of in denial about being willing to pursue it because I was terrified of failure mm-hmm. for a long time. So uh, through college, even though I did, I was in like a comedy theater group. Um, I was a psych major and I was very clear, like, <laughs> I'm going to be a therapist and I'm going to do something practical. Yeah. And then um, I had been, I started writing one act plays for the theater group. And then I'd been writing stand up for about four years. And I finally had a friend Oh, that's nice. Who <laughs> I had my first friend and um I told him I'd been writing material and he was like, Let me read it right now. And I just showed it to him and he was like, Thank God it's good, because that would have been really uncomfortable yeah. if you weren't funny. And he, yeah, lovingly bullied me into doing stand up. So I did my first show at the Starry Plow in Oakland at, at a mixed open mic, which I cannot recommend to anyone. <laughs> Do not do stand up at a show where people are also singing sentimental songs. It's oh not my a good God. combo. Yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. I yeah, I was at something. <clears throat> I can't remember what, so I won't specify. But okay, a core uh, a companion story. I was at a karaoke night, and I know you love karaoke, and we're gonna get into something mm-hmm. very specific about yeah. that. And either the guy sang Hallelujah, you know, the guy this guy asked me and a friend, should I sing Hallelujah? And I said, absolutely not. In no way and no world would that be a good idea. It's six and a half minutes long. Yeah, it's slow. It's going to bum people out. It's hard to sing. It is. It's really hard to sing, depending on which version. It's also a song that has like a thousand versions. If you did the Leonard Cohen version, maybe you could croak through it appropriately. But (laughs) yeah, I I have seen people ice a room down with something that is real meaningful, but good God, you don't want to hear it. But you do something really... Uh, cute, special, and fun every time you go to karaoke, which was written by a friend of mine. Um, yeah, well, to be fair, uh, it is my boyfriend who does it. He sings simply the best every time that we go to karaoke. Now, does he do the crowd work of going right over to you and singing it right to you? And Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does everyone get all excited? And, and oh, yeah. Play? it's It drums up a lot of room spirit for it. I make sure to be very encouraging from the audience yeah, and act surprised. Like, yeah. I'm like, uh, oh my God, me? this is so yeah. I'm the best. I didn't know. I had no oh idea. God. Yeah, and then that, you do mm-hmm. a little heart thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's the appropriate way to both drum the room up and then enjoy the moment with mm-hmm. your partner. Uh, and 
even though chronologically I should be able to figure this out, you've been, what's your partner's name? Hoyt. Hoyt. You've been with Hoyt uh, how long? Four and a half. Somewhere between four and five years. I should cut yeah. myself a break on the chronological thing because since the pandemonium, everything's been blurry. Nothing means anything. No. Yeah. The time yeah. is, I could be anywhere between 23 and 37. I have no <laughs> idea. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really sweet. Now, does he spend time in LA as well or do you travel uh, back and forth? Yeah, so it's so we've sort of been all over because so we met when we were both in Amsterdam. We lived together there for two years, and then his job sent him back to Canada. Oh, and I stayed in Am- so he's from Canada. Okay, I stayed in Amsterdam. Be careful of him now. And he's we, Canadian. yeah, very suspicious, very dangerous, and angry yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Mean, mean, rude. Like my parents yeah. are Canadian, and they have a lot of family <laughs> there. I know. Where in Canada are they? They're from Nova Scotia. Oh, okay. What are their accents like? There, it's very. Um, Let's say transatlantic in the way that they would say about British singers of the 60s. Mm-hmm. It's there, but of course, I don't recognize it. And sure. some people ask me if I'm Canadian, mainly because I'm such a lovely, gentle <laughs> spirit. But uh, my accent is sort of um, not location, uh, non-specific, mm-hmm. but I don't have any Massachusetts in my... Right. Uh, because that was uh, by design. How do you say uh, the day after today? Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and then how would you say the opposite of inside? Outside. Intra- okay, you're sort of mid in the middle there. Interesting. In between, of Canadian yeah. and American? Yeah, because <laughs> like... I thought you were going to say, you're very towny sounding. No, because <laughs> uh, my, my boyfriend and his friends say tomorrow. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like outside? And outside. No, outside. Like, no. it's just like, it's like they cut out part of the word outside. Like, the, it's not even the oot. It's like a, just a little bit clipped. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like English people say, how do they, they, there's two different ways to say Craig. No, uh, uh, the, yeah, the A is long. So Craig. Craig. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I don't mind. And I don't even think I noticed the difference because I just thought, oh, English accent. I love <laughs> the English accent, which I do, mm-hmm. which is a nice, uh, one of the many million things that I love about Ada. Right. Uh, yeah. Great accent. Great accent. And of mm-hmm. course, as may be obvious to listeners or viewers, we both have the transatlantic love affair. Mm-hmm. We on. do indeed. Yes. Have you ever found yeah. that challenging? Oh, Yeah. I mean, it, the first year we were doing long distance, 2021, we only saw each other for one week that whole year because yeah. uh, the Canadian borders were closed. Oh, right. Um, and um, so To keep the angry people in. Yes, exactly. Yeah, All yeah. the rude people inside oh, yeah, yeah. to sort of course correct. Um, and I think I flew out the day the borders opened uh, okay. to see him. Yeah, so I saw him for a week. And then uh, when I left Amsterdam, I spent like five or six months in Canada with him. Mm-hmm. What part? Uh, he's in Ottawa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to prove your love to someone, move to Ottawa in January. <laughs> um, that was intense. Uh, and then I moved here summer of last year, and then he got sent back to Amsterdam that October. Was and it deportation or something to do with work? Uh, with work, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, the Canadians weren't like, you're too nice, get out of here. <laughs> we only want rude people now. Right. Uh, and he's far too sweet for that. <laughs> so, yeah, now he's been back in Amsterdam for a year. Um, and I saw him for about a week in April for my birthday. And before that, I saw him last September for like four days for my sister's wedding. And when's the next planned rendezvous? We do not have one yet. Yeah, I was actually, I was supposed to go to, to Amsterdam for about two months in fall. And then um, I had a bunch of 
career opportunities pop up and it just didn't make sense for me to go. Yeah. I was in London most of last year during Ada's pregnancy or mm-hmm. our pregnancy, which is so wrong to say because she's the <laughs> Was one it hard that. on you too? Oh, well, <laughs> my God. You know, like the, the bloating of the ankles and the, not that she had that. I'm trying to think of the other thing. Yeah, the craving for strange Morning food. sickness. Oh, I had it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Not just the first trimester. I got, <laughs> it went the whole way. Um, you know, and because I was just immediately as soon as we found out and i started i cope with the idea because i never planned on having a child as mm-hmm. discussed in that episode we were talking about right um <clears throat> not the bipolar episode folks the the uh, show episode um <laughs> though the grand mall <laughs> happened last year um yeah and that happened during my, my birthday um what was i gonna say um i forget that's the nature of things. Uh, uh, but You were in London. For yes, good, yeah. thank you. I was in London all last year, so then come, I had to come back here for the long stretch of time I've been here since April uh, to rethread some needles and get some stuff going. I had to have you on the show. That was the main. That was the main thing. That was the number one thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now after this, after the show. You can leave. Exactly. Your flight is out. today. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. How are you on time, by the way? I'm, I'm having, fine. Good, yeah. good. Because I like to do long shows and this mm-hmm. is a terrific conversation. So, um which is the way to tank something to say, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> which I'm trying to do. I'm trying hard. Um, yeah. So uh, w- how do you manage the uh, communication? We do daily FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's shifted a little bit. So like during the first year, 2021, we FaceTimed for like five hours a day just because neither of us had anywhere to be like yeah amsterdam yeah. had a we couldn't leave the house after like 8 p.m uh-huh. and um uh and the time difference worked pretty well for us so we could just yeah facetime pretty much all day every day um now I, we call yeah a couple times a week we text every day i think i did long distance two times before this oh okay and both times were like unmitigated disasters where i just <laughs> i really felt like the relationship was like putting a cramp on my day-to-day life and it was making it hard for me to, to exist in both. And I think my partner now is just so like patient and understanding. And also I so don't doubt his love for one second that it's like, I can fully live my life and also be fully committed to him yeah. and know that we're going to find each other when we have time for it. And that's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm thankful yeah. that we, again, were able to have so much time during the pandemic because we hadn't even met in person. Right. Which is wild to me. But also, I think the benefit of that was we got to know each other so very well in a way that maybe we wouldn't have if we met in person. And then the great thing is the lust had built up so much. Sure, that, that helps. Know, yeah. he had a child. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. And not that that doesn't present uh, with uh, FaceTime. Everyone can, I'm sure, uh, paint the picture. But uh, it doesn't seem to be any kind of um, impediment to that. I mean, there's people I met in person that things turned out horribly. I'm sure you've enjoyed mm-hmm. that as well. <laughs> so um, the amount of time spent, mm-hmm. that was what I was thinking about. Uh, when you mentioned it um that it's something that shifts and changes like right uh now a few minutes ago our little guy is teething mm-hmm. so he's up and down and up and down nor- and normally his sleep schedule is pretty regular so she had texted me uh, an update on it very good humored which is nice because she has to do all of the stuff right now which sometimes it's a 
it pulls on the heartstrings for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but just like once or twice because I don't, you know, I'm not like a, a, a wussy. No, but uh, I, <laughs> you're not like a dedicated father. No, 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 yeah. God, <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, and, but uh, you know, when she's overwhelmed, understandably so, by just keeping her career going and being a single mom right now, basically. Mm-hmm. But also we stick rigidly to the transatlantic breakfast every day no matter what that's what we do and the time uh, the time difference is interesting she's starting her day i'm closing mine out mm-hmm. so it's nice and we spend time every day with him and that's a way to uh manage it but not spending too much time you got to be careful about yeah i mean it was it was really hard when i was working a nine to five and mm-hmm. so was he because amsterdam is nine hours ahead so Right when he got off work, I started my day. So it was impossible for us to talk. That's really difficult. Um, yeah. yeah. So now my my schedule is much more flexible. So I think definitely the transatlantic thing, it's much easier when you're both or or one of you at least is in a more flexible schedule and Absolutely. just can sort of pop in and out. Absolutely. And yeah. of course, she works from not um, well, her home studio. I guess I do. Wow. Uh, so um, that definitely helps. That definitely helps. And so it's more the exception than the rule that it's like we don't get to talk right now right. or whatever. Thanks, by the way, for making that. <laughs> well, when is your next trip back? We're not Ryan? sure exactly. She's coming here. or Oh. Her, she and Peter. I, I say that stuff and I'm like, wow, that sounds like an asshole thing to say. They are coming. I hear, but it's like he's he, an entity. He, exactly, that's combined. he's part of us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, they're also gonna... so cute. Oh, thank you. Such yeah. a cute baby. He's so adorable, and he's my little sunshine bear. And mm-hmm. I, he's so adorable. He recognizes me on the phone, and which you worry about at first. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because I, I oh, I was going to say it before, I knew as soon as we found out, I was like, I got to be over there for the. I was there for almost the entire duration, but I had to come mm-hmm. back here for like a month. And I I feel it's so funny. Never thinking I would, ha- would have a child. There's all these things that I immediately knew. Uh, we went earlier back or we were go- going back to what we talked about, about principles. I was like, oh, like I have to be there. And I even figured this out later. I just felt it was like essential to be with her because that also affects him uh, and for her support is obviously as well. Mm-hmm. But he knows without knowing uh, you know i like and i, I did all the stuff talked to her stomach every day uh and then when he was born played a mappy road every night to fall oh. sleep. yeah and also condition him to be a beatles fan yeah basically. sure yeah. which is not hard it's not hard and yeah. the other thing is during my huge episode tell me if you do this i had an album on repeat yeah it, it was the clash of sandinista so thank god it's a triple record set uh as a, a and it goes on and on and on and she was very understanding and she was like oh i like this song and i hit the first song he fell asleep to when he was outside the wall was the magnificent seven by the clash and i was like that's my boy yeah <laughs> what's uh what are some of the musical acts that you enjoy so what uh yeah last summer when i was mid tinkerbell uh the album was uh the walls are way too thin by holly humberstone oh i'll have to check them out to see mm-hmm. what sort of tone the music is it's very like wistful young lady alone in london that's like the vibe the whole thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um with a with a hint of rage oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah you need that you, you need, need a little bit of it you need yeah. a touch of that mm-hmm. yeah uh noah khan is another one uh-huh. 
uh, Stick Season is the his newest album, which is very sad and very good. Thank you for also mm-hmm. the more modern day uh, recommendations because recently I, maybe during a slight hypomanic, I listened to the Eagles Hotel California album. <laughs> On a loop. Yeah, you want to... You thought the beta tape it, uh, signified my age. But I never really got into the whole album, or at least since I was four. Uh, <laughs> had it on 8-track. Does that help my me seem younger? Yes. Uh, thank you. Much younger. Th- thank you very mm-hmm. much, because I can't just rely on this gorgeous face. Um, so, uh, the yeah, that, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'll move forward, and I listen to Don Henley's uh, Building the Perfect Beast. It's from 1985. But I, And then lately it was Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. So I'm really... Okay, well... And real outsider stuff, like really non-commercial. Like, where is that? Where I do like the deepest, uh, most obscure stuff, but not sometimes in those moments. But finding new racks sometimes is a little bit challenging, particularly mm-hmm. with the. When, uh, do you find this when you're under a lot of, say, pressure of commitments and things to do? Music becomes something that I want to hear, something comfortable. Though I've never wanted to be one of those people that only listens to stuff that either came out during a certain period or that like when they left college, when they left high school, then they sealed it off and then stopped. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard. like my family has gotten used to the fact that like it, when I was like visiting home from Amsterdam, if I was ever in charge of music in the car, <laughs> it was like the same 12 songs that I've been listening to since I was 18. Yeah. Um, which is part of why I was so happy to to rediscover Noah Khan because I had been listening to a few of his earlier singles on repeat for years. Like they were part of like young blood was like a part of my constant playlist. Like yeah. my playlist that's called right now, which <laughs> is just what I always listen <laughs> right to now, which is for an evergreen yeah. all the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then when I listened to the new album that came out, I was like, at last, new songs. And now these four songs will become the only songs I listen to for the next 12 years. Um, but I do it with TV and movies as well. Like my family knows it's like pulling teeth trying to get me to watch something new because I'm like, why watch something new when I could comfort watch the same thing I've seen twelve times? I have a different thing with movies. I even I I need to watch something I've never seen before. Ideally, something I know nothing about, which is my preferred way of seeing any movie. I don't like trailers because they, especially now, they show you the way too much. Yeah. yeah, and middle and end and the funniest scene. Yeah. Particularly if they're like, this is a stinker. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get him in somehow. And, and they do misdirection, like about Schmidt, which is a brilliant, heavy, uh, philosophical film, was marketed as a comedy. Like, you unbelieve what Jack Nicholson gets up to now. And then, like, you're crying through mm-hmm. the whole movie. Uh, unless you're a monster. But uh, the I need to see something that I don't know. And to that end, during the pandemic, I watched a lot of... <laughs> Well, movies about the police, because that was coming up a lot. So I watched a lot of stuff that reconfirmed all the stuff we already know. Sure. A lot of stuff star- starring people that are very problematic, like Chuck Norris. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in films where they're opposing the Russians, where I guess that flipped somehow. I, okay. I, I, I'm so confused about that. Or uh, very vicious police dramas or crime dramas from Italy. That I, but I only like them when they're dubbed. I don't, <laughs> I don't want, I don't mind subtitles and I'll do that. But if it's like mm-hmm. this, if it's a, like a trashy movie, I want mm-hmm. it dubbed. Sometimes poorly. And most of those films do not pass the bechamel test. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If, Ten minutes in, you're like, whoa, <laughs> Jesus. But they're so brutal. I'm like, these are crazy. <laughs> and, and a lot of them are ripoffs of whatever American film is popular. They're like mm-hmm. Dirty Harry. There's like a hundred ripoffs of that. Or uh, at the same time, something like Tar. 
Oh, I, love, I haven't seen it yet, but I have been meaning to. Highly recommend it. I believe it's on Prime, included in Prime. And that is a really challenging film. And, and that's my favorite because it also takes me out of whatever I happen to be thinking at the time. And then I love thinking about, did this mean this or what did that mean? Like to live and die in LA. Um, <laughs> even that film though, I've seen him a lot recently with the director's passing. It's been screening. I used to make a joke that I'm legally obligated to see it anytime it plays in the 10, uh, ten mile radius. <laughs> I even put a screening on in London. Um, but now I looked at the American Cinematheque schedule and I went, oh my God, it's playing like a hundred times. So I'm glad it's having a moment, but still, mm-hmm. I need I, even favorite films though outside of that or maybe Casino. But even those, I need to take long breaks in between watching them again. So comfort comfort films, I guess, are different from me and you. So we're going to fight mm-hmm. about that after the show. Yeah. Continuing our- More sport. kicking. Yeah, more kicking. We yeah. started at the beginning. Somehow we got like, hey, we're okay with each other. And now, and now we're going to fight again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and besides uh, the- Comfort films. Would you mind naming a few films? I hate asking, what are your favorite movies? Because everyone goes blank. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few movies that are kind of pivotal to you. Uh, I'd say Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, okay. Is a big one. Yeah. That was definitely one that I saw and I was like, oh, this film is exactly what I'm about. Like it just, it was like, it was sad and it was funny and it was weird and it was about family dynamics and also criticizing mainstream America and beauty pageants. It oh, got yeah, a I, lot in there. I, um, I love that stuff, especially yeah. even if it's subtext or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely Little Miss Sunshine is a big one. Um, I would say Some Like It Hot was a big one for me. Uh-huh. As a kid, I need um, to see that again because I saw it when I was a kid and I don't really remember it. Yeah, it. So my mom taught like a an acting and film class, and part of the curriculum was they had screenings of like famous movies every night. And so my sister and I would watch, would go to the screenings as kids because my parents were there, and so we saw a lot of older movies pretty young. And so, um, some like it hot was one that I looked forward to every time. They had the class because we yeah. could see it. And Jack Lemon in it was so goofy and so funny. And his physicality was so great. And also just like the ending line where he he says that like they're they're jetting off to get married with uh-huh. the millionaire. And he's like, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. <laughs> and his millionaire just goes, Well, nobody's perfect. It's such a great ending to me. I loved that so much. And a really uh, basically progressive thing such a progressive message incredibly progressive and mm-hmm. it's accepted by the greater audience and yeah. i think a lot of subtle messaging like that is almost a, a larger benefit than the stuff that's earnestly hitting you over the head yeah with it uh, much like dude looks like a lady by aerosmith in the end he's like that's fine <laughs> That's like no problem. I just was surprised for a little while. <laughs> Which is fine. It's okay totally to be fine. surprised. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know, you know? So that's uh, another one. There's a, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate those. Uh, or or like Dog Day Afternoon. It's Unless you knew the story already, you don't know. And I don't want to spoil it for you. Mm-hmm. But there's a transgender character in it that you're not, you don't, it, it, there's so much going on in the film. And it's a true story that you don't expect it whatsoever. But it's just presented very plainly in a mainstream film starring al pacino so Mm -hmm. yeah any movies you hate (laughs) any movies i hate um oh this one always this was a slightly controversial opinion i hated silver linings playbook with all my heart 
Uh-huh. I hated it so much. <laughs> I literally remember watching it with my parents. And I turned to my mom and I was like, can we turn this off? I had never asked to like not finish a movie before. Yeah. And I was so angry. I th- And so many people I knew loved it so much and were like, it's such a great depiction of mental illness and like... It's so compelling. And I was like, I don't believe him. I don't believe her. It feels like they're trying too hard. I'm angry and sad. At the time, I didn't even know I was bipolar, but I didn't believe him. Some part some part yes. of my heart was like, I know that's me and that's not you. I know exactly <laughs> I what you mean. I, I loathe films like that. <laughs> loathe them. And, then, and, and it's double irritation because you don't want to be rude to people. Like, no, it's really inaccurate. And in my head, I go, you don't suffer this yeah. thing, so how would you know? Mm-hmm. I read that um, A Star is Born, the recent version, is um, an accurate depiction of BPD. I don't know. I just know that, um, what's his name's character? The, Bradley like, Cooper. Most famous, yeah. The guy who's in Silver Landing's playbook. Yeah. His portrayal of what whatever mental illness is like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And I think Lady Gaga is unbelievable in that movie. I cried like half of the movie. <laughs> It's funny because I don't know what you know, like just someone <laughs> screwing up their life. Not that I, not that I've done that. <laughs> I would have no idea what that. I don't know. Like, it's like yeah. a, it's a concept, though. I've heard of it. Yeah. And but just like the pain and like the thing and that gets in the way of stuff. And also, I love *A Star Is Born* as a as a concept as well. Well, yeah, my mom and I had um, a marathon where we watched all three of them. Oh wow! Yeah. Who's, it, who's in the first one? Because Judy Garland. It's Judy is- Garland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Barbara Streisand. There's one before Judy Garland. Oh, I haven't seen the one before Judy Garland. I haven't either because, you know, films for a certain date, they don't, they're not real. <laughs> I've been trying to watch more of them because, you know, they're pretty good. And some of them are way harsher than you would expect. But yeah, I have to look that up. Oh, man. Which I could do okay. now, but why bother? Well, uh, we, yeah, we saw the first, we saw the three most famous ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some say the Garland one is the real kind of first one because the first one I don't think is about sh- the showbiz. So okay. th- I think it's different. Is she like know. a big horse jumper that he trains? I think so. That's usually what fil- they made films mostly about. <laughs> about horse horses. Jumpers. Yeah. Casablanca was the rare exception, and that's why people re- remember it so well. Yeah. <laughs> they actually had a scene, but they cut it out because okay. they couldn't shoot Were it at the Cafe Americana. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, of the three uh, versions, which do you like the best? I. I do like, I suppose in terms of enjoying watching the movie, I liked the most recent one the best. Yeah. Because the Barbara Streisand one is kind of silly. She's not that good She's in it. She's not that great in it. No. And the Judy Garland one is weird. There's like I have to see that. an elaborate intermission. And also oh. like, for whatever reason, the version we watched, I don't know if it's that it no longer exists or what, but it would just freeze and play dialogue. Oh, because, weird. Because like some part of the film got lost. I don't know if we just found a bad version of it, that but that be... was the only one we could find. Weirdly, that happens a lot, even with huge movies. But then yeah. it's when it's restored, they think, well, this is the best we can do. So we just have the audio. Yeah. And there was definitely some like, I don't know. There's a very strange scene where like he's putting makeup on her. And it felt a little reminiscent of the cake scene in the um, the Lady Gaga one. Oh, 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 uh, Star is Born. Yeah. 
where well I suppose they're all a star is born but but there was <laughs> right the classic horse jumping film that's great that's amazing that's a new high watermark for me that's that's going on the highlight reel that's really great so wait so we're talking about a star is born it's is a that... star is born that's the movie that we're talking about yeah right right not the new joker film it's not out it's not the new joker it? film it's not joker 2 it's a star is born. should have been obvious because yeah. that one's not out it's also not a silver linings playbook it's actually another one called a star is born oh right yeah, okay right with that guy bradley cooper who's like He's just on the up. People are starting to be aware he's, of who people he is. Are, I think he's going to be a really big deal. I think so, too. It's yeah. just a gut feeling I have, mm-hmm. despite that horrendous movie you talked about. Yeah, which we hated. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Even though I haven't seen it, now I yeah. won't. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the out on that one. Uh, which reminds me of that one that's in the news recently about um, A Star is Born. A Star is no, Born. The one about uh, uh, the, green some, the Green Book. Uh, oh, the, yeah, I didn't see it's it. It's about a football player and the family that helped rescue him and treat him. That's the blind side. That's right. I don't know what the green book is, but if anyone does, please write in. The green book. The green no, that's book. another movie. It is. It oh, is a thank movie. God, that's a movie that's about like. Oh my god. It's about horse. Jumping. I'm gonna sound. It's horse jumping. It's about it's Seabiscuit, except if it was about jumping and not racing. Right. It's a throwback film. It's, it's a, a throwback. It's, it's a jump back film. Yeah. It's, that's <laughs> what it is. Yeah. So back to that Gaga film. And uh, what is Seabiscuit but a star is born except about horses? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Everything's the same story. It's Everyone thought it was against him. They trained up this horse to yeah. be a star, and then the horse superseded the jockey in fame. Yeah, and then the jockey went down the tubes, yeah. and then uh, just like in the uh, the Star Is Born, uh, <laughs> to just differentiate it from the other ones, uh, they put an eight track of a demo mm-hmm. in their eight track player and drive their Corvette or whatever car it is off. into the Grand Canyon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was the image that burned into my head when I was a kid because I love anything with studio stuff in it because I play music as well. Any scene in a recording studio. So I remembered Chris Christopherson throwing the case of booze through the radio station window. <laughs> I, one of my favorite shots ever is he's standing there looking at his backing band, moving on without him, recording an album. And Gary Busey, who plays the band manager, slides into frame with a Coke sp- and then the Coke spoon appears. Christopherson doesn't even move. It just goes under his nose and he knows what's happening and snorts it. I was like, this is the best summation. <laughs> Of that era, ever. <laughs> and you could just put that on, on Instagram. People be like, what is this? This is amazing. So uh, the cake scene in the, that film. The, the, Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit. Yeah. With, with Gaga playing the jockey. <laughs> what, 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 what and ha- Bradley Cooper's the horse. That's right. Yeah. yeah which is a, a daring. A real uh, switch up of things. Real switch they up. They thought he couldn't do it. They thought he couldn't do it. Yeah. And plus he got the accent, which he based on Sam Elliott, which yeah. was an interesting <laughs> choice for a horse. <laughs> Uh, he didn't even know that Sam Elliott would agree to be uh, the, his brother horse. It's, yeah. it's a whole lot. Sam wild. Elliott didn't want to play a horse. It was very complicated. I know, but that shows you the power of belief in yourself exactly. and your project. Because mm-hmm. he wrote, directed, uh, trained as a horse and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called A Star is Seabiscuit. That's right. That's right. That's why I couldn't remember the name before. Because uh, I thought I was making a mistake, but nope. Nope, you were right. What is the cake scene? I forget. the. Is, are they smearing it, cake on each other? He smears cake on her face to embarrass her, basically. Right, yeah. right. Because I immediately thought of him pissing his pants. Well, that's much later in the movie, yeah. An iconic scene at the Grammys, right? I, I do like that they portrayed him very starkly as he's this nice guy. He's this great supportive guy, which he is. But then he's a real fucking bastard in mm-hmm. those moments. I like complex characters that aren't necessarily very sympathetic. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like yeah. people who are rotten and then in the last 20 minutes have some kind of redemption. Yeah. Like Breaking Bad. Although I felt that he was true to his character because he does something very evil and he finally gets his own back from the people that screwed him years ago. That's true. But uh, do you mean in terms of his uh, benevolence towards Jesse Pinkman? I just felt like he got too much of what he wanted in the end. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. I see what you mean. I don't... I, it's... That's a tricky... Honestly, we shouldn't get into my Breaking Bad takes because no one's going to like them. See, I like... So we should... Okay, well, I like disagreeing <laughs> with people about, about film and other, other things. Uh, but... So wait, what's your overall take on Breaking Bad? I Did hated you... it. <laughs> it's good to hear the... Uh, the outside voices on this one. Yeah, the truly, truly minority voice on and Breaking Bad. So you hated it, yet you watched the entire series? I hate watched it. <laughs> just so I could have a fully formed point of view on how much I hated it. Like, no one's going to catch me out on this. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, also I women don't exactly. understand film or Well, women or can't gaming. grasp it because we're not smart enough. We weren't genetically programmed to try to win a mate through being erudite or entertaining or anything like that. No, 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 no. We Certainly. were made to stay at home exactly. and raise children. That's so. right. Uh, and stay in the kitchen. Whether yeah. it's cooking, just stay in the kitchen exactly. apparently all day long. Mm -hmm. Rest of the house uh, yeah. uninhabitable um, for them by law except the bedroom. Yeah, it's and hard for me to be in a living room right now. You, this you've is been very doing difficult. an admirable job. Thank I you. wanted to comment. I commend you on that, but you can't with women. You can't encourage them. You just them. can't explain anything to them either. Well, that's the thing. They won't get it. And then they'll get all <laughs> high-minded, high-handed and stuff. So you got to be very careful. Yeah. You know. Next thing you know, they'll start to try to train a horse themselves. Uh, it's going to be oof. crazy. That, there was, that was hinted at in, mm -hmm. in uh, Star Wars Seabiscuit. And uh, that was very uncomfortable mm -hmm. for me. That yeah. was the only uncomfortable part, really. Uh, and uh, Jerry Lewis, I think, wrote an op-ed <laughs> about it. Um, to live and die in LA? Well, that's, that's exactly, what that's yeah. what the whole movie's about. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like how to do it properly. How do you live properly and then die properly? And it's very demurely. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the answer. And sans horses, exactly. if you're a lady. Yes, yeah. exactly. And Bill Peterson just goes like, hey, you behave better, behave better. I like how I call him Bill, as yeah. if we know him. Like you're really close. Exactly, yeah. I've heard people refer to him enough as that. And I'm like, yeah, Bill, We're Billy. tight. It's like yeah. the Friedkin, Billy. Never met him. No people who, who knew him, but that doesn't really count. Uh, but I can say it in an arch way. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know Billy, my good friend. Um, but you hate watch Breaking Bad. I like the dedication. Are there any other shows that you've hate watched? Um, no, I think that was probably it. That was during the pandemic, and I like during like deep lockdown twenty twenty. The salad. I had days. nothing else to do. The salad days. Yeah. yeah, I had nothing else to do except um, yeah, uh, watch that and listen to Mac DeMarco. And I um, I was just so angry the whole time I watched it. And my boyfriend kept being like, what? Just stop watching it. It's making <laughs> you so mad. And there's like four more seasons yeah, left. Yeah, there's so much left. And they're like an hour each, the episodes. I was like, no. Some of them 75 minutes I towards I need to have end. ammunition. <laughs> yeah. I did like Ozymandias. I thought that was- uh, Which one? Ozymandias, I think it's called. the. Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, it's like the second to last episode of Breaking oh, Bad. Oh, see, uh, that's good. Ozymandias, it- Oh, I don't know the episode names. I'm going to get crucified. It's the one, I think they won an Emmy for it. And it um, it opens up with Hank and him in the desert. Oh, that episode is wild. Yeah, the one where they had to get special permission to delay the credits. 
so that they oh. wouldn't interrupt like the first 15 minutes of the show. That's yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know why I know so much about you a show knew that I hated. More than I did. <laughs> and I was I was late to the show, but that mm-hmm. meant then I downloaded the first four seasons. The first episode I find to be one of the most uncomfortable of the whole series because this guy is a put upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, fawning. I don't, I don't want to say loser, but it's like he is completely not emasculated but in a way he is Mm -hmm. and he just goes along with it and it's a it's a flip of the tropes of the king of queens and all Mm -hmm. these fucking shows that i can't stand harpy wife although she is mean to him but she's mean to him Mm -hmm. and there's this dynamic where everyone goofs on him especially hank so in a way i like what happens later when the guy that knows everything he didn't know that much Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i wish they had done more with the characters like what they did with hank I felt like they did a great job with Hank where you start out hating him and then you start finding him more interesting and you still don't really like him, but you're still rooting for him. And I felt like all the other characters, they did not make anti-heroes; they made villains. Okay. See, that's one of the things I liked about it because to me, uh, uh, Walter White uh, reclaims his authority and not just in a masculine way i think that's actually lower on the totem pole for me it's that he is brilliant his brilliance is what allowed that company he got screwed out of to actually flourish Mm -hmm. the other two people were okay but he was the genius behind it now then how does he reclaim it by being the king of meth what drove him to do that the outrageousness of the american medical system so it's a commentary on America also uh, saying like, why do you think people get into dealing drugs? Do you think it's because they enjoy the people that they make contact with? No, Tuco would be a great example of mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. You got to deal with some motherfuckers that are crazy and you better be light on your feet and pretty like agile to navigate these people. But movies like Scarface, we were talking about immigrants uh, very um, uh, casually before or what, flippantly. Um, <laughs> but that. But even that, there was there's a lot of truth in that. People don't like to remember that the Irish were treated the same way. The mm-hmm. Italian uh, a group, now the Italians were treated the same way, and thus were very sensitive about things like The Godfather and everything. So in Scarface, uh, for the two people that haven't seen it, <laughs> they're Cuban immigrants. And like a lot of people have said about people who are serving life imprisonment for criminal activities, a lot of these people could be business titans, but they're not given the opportunity. And then we see the guy laundering money, and it's okay when he does it, even though it's illegal, because, well, he's white, right. works at a bank. But the drug dealer, you know, it's a whole thing. I, I love all of that stuff in the subtext, but that's to me the subtext of Breaking Bad and why I liked it. And especially that you're rooting for maybe two different characters at the same time. You're kind of rooting for Hank. I was rooting for Walter the entire time. I was like, I want him to get away with this. I want him to get away with this. I want him to get a divorce. I want all of that stuff. And the big tipping point for a lot of people was when he not just let that girl die. Yeah. But rolled her over onto her back so she could choke on her own vomit. Yeah. And I <laughs> I said, I went, good. Because she was going to bring about his downfall. And Jesse, like, she, she was... Uh, Poor girl, blah, blah, blah. She is an actress and it was a a role. But I I thought in the dramatic sense, this is a tipping point for him. And it shows that he knows what has to be done in that regard, if you believe that line of thinking. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it fails the Bechamel yeah. test. I don't know. <laughs> How did you feel about it as a person who hated the show and hated Walter White? <laughs> I just felt like... Oh, by the way, delayed spoiler alert for the two people that haven't seen Breaking yeah. Bad. Um, I I remember Vince... Gilligan. His, yeah. Talking his about member how... of Gilligan's Island. He was all that was he was a star of that. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's just him trying to leave an island. Of yes, horses. exactly. He's like, yeah. I gotta I gotta show I to gotta write. get out of here. That's why it took so long because they wouldn't allow it back yeah. then. Um but um I he talked about how he would write himself into a corner mm-hmm. for an episode and then have to write himself out of it the next episode. And I felt like you could feel that in the show where like uh, it would be like, oh no, how's he gonna get out of this? Oh, he's going to science himself out of it because he's smart. And I got sick of that up and down feeling of like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Yeah. Um, I did. And I also just didn't. I never like I like an antihero. I mm. like a complicated character where you're unsure of their morals and whatnot. I just found Walter White kind of boring. It just felt like pretty quickly in he was just a dick and mean to everyone around him. And I never really saw any waffling on his part about grappling what he was really doing other than like past once that scene happened, I think that's a great scene, like an amazing scene where he moves her onto her back. That's incredible. Like watching a villain be born. Yeah. But after that, it felt very one note to me. Like I didn't see any fluctuations on his part. Yeah. And then I was just like, well, now I just hope he gets caught. Like, I really <laughs> was just rooting for his downfall. Which um, comes about through basically arrogance. Because he's right. he's b- getting sloppy, which is the end mm-hmm. result of arrogance. Pride what, before the fall. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Ex- left that thing in the bathroom. He knows Hank's a reader. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And then has, I love that scene. Also. That scene is incredible because yeah. there's so many other ways that he could have been busted and almost mm-hmm. is a couple times. That is the most subtle way of doing it, I think. And also showing he, he's getting like, he thinks he he's untouchable. Yeah. So, which is something that seems like that in another film I might've mentioned, but I wouldn't want to specify what it is. <laughs> uh, uh, there, um, and also I liked the weirdness of how he cared so much for Pinkman. Mm-hmm. when Pinkman gave him really no reason to for a very, very, very long time. And kept making mistakes. Yes. And also the brutality of when he is being kept by the, the white supremacist oh, group. Yeah. It is like ghoulish. And I'm sure based on something real. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you for listening to the Breaking Bad <laughs> summation show. I'm going to get more hate mail than I've ever gotten in my entire life. That's what I was hoping for. I was, yeah. I was working slowly up to. Yeah. You were really, you were like, let's get another woman to quit comedy. Yeah. Because, <laughs> my God, they should, right? We've established that. Uh, if, What's uh, the opposite of a star is born? <laughs> <laughs> we bring a young woman onto a podcast and we kill her career. Yes, exactly. Subtly, though, not through uh, slowly, cancellation. Yeah. Just through her oh. bad media opinions. Yeah. Oh, I can't go see her. I was going to, but. <laughs> Daro Breen is going to say, "Darlin, I'm sorry. It's not. That's a terrible accent." But he's going to be like, "Listen, I'm going to go do another uh, game show, and mm-hmm. you're uh, not invited." Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. What's he's on a big one? Oh no, sorry, he's on all big uh, quiz on shows. On all of them, yeah. He's done uh, what QI yes. and Big Fat Quiz of the Year. Yeah, he did uh, one eight out of ten cats. 
He does. He's he's done a lot. He's mm-hmm. done a lot. And when I, when I'm over there, I see him on everything, and I'm a big fan of his. I used to actually da- uh, pirate copies QI years ago in the heyday of torrents. I used to just any British show, and there was a British only one, so I saw mm-hmm. tons of things, which made it funny when British people go, "Oh, do you know what QI is?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and I know who hosts it, and I know who co-hosts it, because also Stephen Fry is like one of the most famous comedians for thinking yeah. people uh, that there is, and he did a great series of documentaries about homophobia, about uh, depression. He's a great icon of bipolar, but bipolar one, the less desirable one. Yeah. Uh, but those are very instructive as well. So mm-hmm. anyone uh, listening or watching who thinks you might have a problem, you do. Uh, no, that's <laughs> but you, you just go check out that stuff because if you see yourself reflected in it or any film like you mentioned before, probably probably a good. I realized later I was like, oh no wonder I love all that jazz so much. No wonder. Wow. Besides it being a brilliant film. Sure. But you know, yeah. resonated a little deeper than maybe it yeah. would have otherwise. Oh, I'm such a big Pete Townsend fan. And I'm reading his book going, ooh, oh, oh this looks a little. <laughs> ah. So, of course, I did my due diligence. Like I said before, I heavily researched him and Bob Fosse to learn what treatments they might have had uh, before. So, mm-hmm. and Carrie Fisher, of course, who's the oh. eminence grise of bipolar people. Gosh. I always wonder why anyone would be like, uh, she had drugs in her system, like in a negative way. Of course, she had fucking drugs in her system. The woman yeah. had such severe bipolar that it incapacitated her to the point that she said, listen, I need to get ECT. Every time I get it, I lose a bit of my memory and like facility with words. And I'm a writer. But that's how badly I need it. So the fact that she had seven different drugs in her system, I'm like, the poor lady. Yeah, my like pill organizer is so wacky looking when I refill it every Sunday. It's just like jammed to the top with the different meds that I take. Yeah, I know a friend of mine. I know a friend. That's good. I have a, a friend of mine has uh, two pill cases, I think Impressive. for the same reason. I'm working up towards that one I, day. Yeah, one day. Yeah, yeah. just steady, slow and steady <laughs> wins the race. Wins the horse race and everything else. Yeah. So mine I got after accidentally overdosing on my Lamactyl. Because I was having an episode that was spurned by someone that I have to I have to do something about. Uh, it was a stressful situation in the midst of other stressful situations. And when I say do something about it, I don't mean like in the Breaking Bad sense. I just have to actually say, hey, this isn't working. This thing yeah. is not. So um, I had an episode. And I realized I was talking to Ada and I said, oh, my God, I've been up for 22 hours. Not trying to. Having my normal caffeine intake. Nothing else. And I said, "Uh oh, oh dear," because they're about two weeks long. And then I didn't go on my friend's bachelor getaway. It wasn't like a bachelor party. It was like, "Hey, let's go to Joshua Tree and hang mm-hmm. out." And I, I had to tell them, and they understood very much. It was my friend Spencer. Uh, oh yeah, before uh, the hero of the, the show. Yeah. So uh, I said, "Hey," I explained why, and he said, "We totally understand. Just you know, look after yourself and and uh, be don't be hard on yourself." And so I did that. Then I was officiating their wedding the next weekend. And I was like, row. There's a, <laughs> it's still a bit here. So I told uh, them, I said, hey, guys, thank. I'm glad you understood about that. Uh, it, it's over the th- two days beforehand. Because I was like, I, the last thing I want is them worrying. Right. Though I'm sure they weren't because they know me and what a wonderful guy I am. Uh, <laughs> so wonderful people think I'm Canadian. So then uh, I went and did it and it was all smooth as uh, silk. I've heard that's smooth. And, mm-hmm. uh, but then, uh, it, like the performance, if you will, of officiating, everything was fine, but I was visibly like stressed afterwards. And when I came up t- 
to tell my friend Chelsea, by the way, I just want to let you know, like this was uh, something else stressful happened later on. Um, and I just took a time out. I went and hid in one of the very uh, nicely appointed bathrooms. Lest people think I was like in some uh, disturbingly sure. uh, destroyed place. And I said, you know, this was happening. But and she's like, oh, I know. She's like, it's like, she, she's that friend who can always see everything that's going on with everyone. Mm-hmm. And I said, she's like, it's okay though. You did such a great job, and nothing bad happened, and no one even realized, you know. And except like her, and she, I, I told her, I said, oh, because I, I just was, I couldn't take enough Xanax that day. And she was like, you were on Xanax. <laughs> Like, that's how much I was, like, radiating. So, yeah. So, I'm glad I covered it from everyone. I know that she's the only one that really clocked it. Mm -hmm. And anyone else was like, oh, Craig's having a hard time. That's the other thing. You'd ever, you think, oh, they are all mad at me instead of, like, oh, yeah. Is she okay? Is she all right? So, um, this has been a very uh, exciting discussion, which I have no problem continuing. But can you think of any other topic? You're the comedian? Come on. Uh, 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 well, because uh, I don't put you on the spot right now. That's the thing. I didn't put you on the spot. What's mm-hmm. a show that you were obsessed with that you didn't hate watch? Oh. Um, hmm. You only hate watch shows. That's what you mean. I only hate watch shows. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think for, like most of the, of the big comedies over the last 10 years I've really enjoyed. Like, yeah. Like uh, Parks and Rec. Sure. Thirty Rock, The Office, um, Chernobyl, Chernobyl. Yeah. I mean, laugh a minute. Uh, the Haunting Laffer. of Bly Manor. Oh yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did actually watch that recently. Really? And I am not a horror person. I can't handle it at all. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I just felt like I needed to be really scared. <laughs> Was this pandemic times? This was like two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yes. Yes, exactly. Just as stressful. But, um, there is the afterburn from the pandemic, yeah. which people either don't want to talk about yeah, or they don't want to talk about. Yeah. I got COVID like two months ago. Whoa. And the new style one, right? Yeah. You're on the cutting edge. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. I have a friend who's had it five times. Have they had any like long term or like massively debilitating effects that keep No, they've been growing? fine. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a one-timer myself. I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah. Although I have friends who are one-timers who had long COVID. It's like, it's such a crazy... Crapshoot. Yeah. 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 No one wants to hear about this. No one. That's why it's at the end of the show. So (laughs) they've already turned it off. No, no. That was the problem in doing the the podcast during the solid days because Mm -hmm. there was nothing anyone could talk about just because we're all obsessed with it and nothing that anyone wanted to hear because that's all anyone could talk about. I couldn't listen to most shows because of that, but what the fuck are you going to talk about? Yeah. And then trying to get people on because they don't want to talk about the stuff and also they're morbidly depressed. That was a challenge too. And getting people used to the Zoom. So that's my sob Mm -hmm. story for the moment. Uh, But yeah, we've made it through, folks. Now you're listening to Olivia (laughs) Flood-Wiley and uh, everything's all better. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. What about uh, any um, comic podcasts that you like? I love How Did This Get Made? I love that mm-hmm. so much. Yes. That is a huge comfort podcast for me. Yes. Um, Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole I've, Byer? I've heard it once one? or twice. I need to, I want, not need to, I want to listen to it more. But you know when you get loaded up with your regimen yeah. of, <laughs> you know, like Marin twice a week, thank God. I, every time I wake up and I go, oh, there's a new Marin. Uh, video, wait, am I pointing the right? I'm starting to get, I'm mirrored, folks, in my monitor. Video Archives, my favorite podcast. And oh. they sent me this lovely gift. 
Yeah. So shout out to Gala, Roger, and and uh, uh, Quentin. Not that I forgot his name. I just was like, you know, you know that guy, that guy that directs those movies. Uh, yeah, like a star is is is, uh, is biscuit. Um, yeah. So those I'm obsessed with. How did this get made? Thank goodness they started releasing all the old shows again. Mm-hmm. That was great. I hated that paywall thing in that company. I know. Yeah, I'm glad that company got absorbed um, by a company that will charge you to listen to their stuff. But I, I, I love when they roast a movie that I love. It is the best. <laughs> have you had that happen with uh, that? Um, I, I don't think I have yet with something that I really liked. I did love, I know it's a very famous episode of theirs, but Drop Dead Fred, where they're completely split on whether it's a terrible movie or a great movie. Team Fred or Team yes. Sanity. That was such a legendary episode that they released a limited edition vinyl. A vinyl of it. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. And That's my favorite part is okay. when Jude says she's concerned because she and Paula are raising children together. She's like, as the father of my daughter, I'm concerned about your opinion. There's so much. It's a tense episode. Mm-hmm. And it's a long one, right? It's really long. It's really long. It's really long. And that- also because June and Jason keep leaving the stage to go whisper in the corner about That's what's right. going on. That's right. I love how they, they those are the two that uh, unite. Yeah. I also love how Manzukas is brutal to people, but he, he's so good at it. And you love it. Like, I got roasted by him uh, at a live at a live episode. They do a lot. I mm-hmm. guess that would be where I would be roasted because yeah. otherwise they're in a studio by themselves. It would be weird that you were there. Right. It was for A Night in Heaven, a movie that's god awful but i mm-hmm. love it and also happen to have the out of print dvd so i up uh, when they were like we can't find a good copy of it there was like a horrific like multi-generational vhs rip on youtube i was like i can contribute to the show so i uploaded it and it got viewed so many times my vimeo channel got yanked but <gasps> it was worth it <laughs> and then here's a tip for anyone who goes to one of their live shows and wants to be close up which is helpful because my eyesight is god awful um go by yourself and at Largo, they seat you, and I don't know what the system is, but you just go up. I think they like size you up, and they go eighth row, <laughs> first row. So they put me in the first row, and maybe it was my Rolling Stone shirt. And interesting, this ties to another subject we were talking about. They said any questions from the audience, and they had a question about why did Brian Adams allow them to use this song. And so I raised my hand and uh, I said, I don't have questions. I have a few facts for the film I want to tell you about. The song was not allowed to be used. It was written for the film. And the audience went, whoa. (laughs) The other thing I love is the seriousness with which people take this Mm -hmm. insanity. Because I think that's the best way to do it. Be like, I'm very into this. And this is what... And people dress up for the show. But then I said a third comment, which thankfully edited out of the show. I was sweating listening to it. It just was, it didn't work. And when I raised my hand for the third time, Mantzoukas, who was right in front of me, goes, don't do it. Don't you do it. He's like, you hit it out of the park twice and you're going to screw it up. I'm telling you, <laughs> save yourself, sit down. And I should have listened to him. What did you say? I don't want to. I don't okay, want to say it. Okay, you don't have to say it. That's fine. It was just something that didn't land. It, just, it was like a thing about the movie. It just didn't land. And they still gave me all of these energy drinks as a gift, which I left on the stage because I was like, these are disgusting. <laughs> but it, I was very happy about that. And then outside, waiting for an Uber, uh, two people came up to me and they said, oh, and I'm the only person ever in the history of the show that they didn't ask, what's your name? <laughs> what's no one know, knew. But then I've gotten lots of messages. Did I just hear you <laughs> on what, how did this get made? And I was like, yeah, part one, once or twice, I was like, someone who sounds like me just mm-hmm. gave two of the most obscure facts about one of the most obscure, terrible films ever. 
it might be me. <laughs> so, um, but God bless the people uh, that uh, did uh, listen to that and message me. Two people came up to me and they said, are, are you Craig from the podcast? And I said, yeah. Oh, we lo- love your show. Uh, hi, my name's Spencer and this is Chelsea. Oh my gosh. So I met two of my best friends. <gasps> Well, it all paid off then. It did. And I met Ada because she was going to be a guest on the show. So see, uh, flogging your uh, emotional problems in public. <laughs> leads pays to, off. Yes. Yeah, see, there, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. And um, I think with that, we should close the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look very much forward to the next time we chat yes. very linearly. In a straight line, uh, with a no-nonsense approach that I think both of us have. Clearly. To talk about Right to the stuff. facts. Yeah, because yeah. all the frivolous jokes mm-hmm. and stuff. I hate it, it when people do that. Oh, it's such a drag. Yeah, it's that's just, a horse jump too far. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And on that note, we're going to jump the horse, <laughs> but not jump the shark, by saying so long, folks, and until mm-hmm. next time. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Treat yourself right and head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Look at the reward tiers, see which one jumps out at you that you desire the most, and then just go for it. Grab life by the suspenders and pull at patreon.com slash Craig and Friends.